Have you ever read <laughs> Have you ever read The Count of Monte Cristo? I have not read it. Have you seen the movie? I have seen the movie. I've not read the book. So the the main character is essentially the person we're talking about. Essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the shit that goes on in the book, it, a lot of that shit there's parallels to it in real life. I'm gonna tell you like this. I had a Monte Cristo sandwich in Deerfield. <laughs> it was. Welcome back to the Trilateral Troika. This is Steve, along with the other Steve. Hi, and Ryan. Goose Island again today. It's not bad stuff. I like it. Goose Island, great drink. <laughs> uh, close. It's the it's Goose Island SPF ale with natural passion fruit flavor. Oh, oh yeah, that's that. Like uh, it comes in a pink can. I don't want to hear fuck shit. It, it comes looks, in a pink it looks can. Looks like an Instagram no, filter. It comes in a silver can with an Instagram filter. No, I'm looking at it. Right. It's pink. Yeah. Oh, I'm really? Get the it's can. Pink. It's pink. Oh. <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm thinking of something else. I don't know. I'm not gonna say. Don't make fun of me for my pink can. It's a. It's a good one though. Yeah, I like it. Any IPA is good. It's not to be that guy. It's not an IPA though. You are. Oh, it's not. You are oh, wrong. It's not an IPA. Board, See, sir. that's Goose Island came out with this IPA. That's it comes in a silver six pack cans, mm-hmm. and it's like a it's like a, a multicolored gradient on the uh, can. It's just text, but everything else is silver. Um, uh, and I, I know keep, what you're talking I, about. I can. I'm I can confusing it. it with that. I think I so. can picture it, but I, I I don't. I can't remember what the name. I've is. definitely seen SPF before. I didn't know it wasn't an IPA. What is uh, it? It's a passion fruit flavored ale. So it's an ale. Yeah, just, it's just not yeah. a pale ale. Okay. All right, that's it for this episode. This week's episode of uh, Beer Talk. Ah, thanks for tuning in to Beer Talk. Uh, <laughs> you know, we hops. You had a good time. Ha! Oh man, that was good. Oof, oof, oof. One hundred reached. On to the real podcast. <laughs> Leprechauns. How do they work? Hey, that is racist. Facts <laughs> fact or fiction? Speaking of racism, let's talk about Alexander Dubas. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about Thomas Alexandra Dumas. Um, or or Thomas. Yeah, Thomas Alexandra Dumas. It's spelled like dumbass. Because in the. uh, Shut up. In the audiobook for The Black Count, the the narrator, he he always, like, he always Frenches it up. Yeah, he definitely churches it up. He he doesn't say say Thomas, he says Thomas. Mm hmm. Which is accurate, but it, it just sort of has that like that that like tinge of him just like going out of his way to to say the French pronunciation. So when I when you um, told us about who we were doing this week, the only thing I could think of is that commercial from back in the day for like Southwest Airlines, where the guy is in his boss's office and his boss's last name is Dumas. Yeah, and the guy's like, "Yeah, Mister Dumbass." I think yeah, I'm a great a- fit here at your company, Mister <laughs> Dumbass. That's all I can think about. So now I'm like, oh, Thomas Alexander, dumbass. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so Thomas Alexander uh, Dumas is the grandfather of, uh, or he's the father of the, the author, um, Alex, Alexander Dumas, the, the father, as, as he's known in French. And then he's the grandfather of Alexander Dumas, the son. Um, usually, it's listed as uh, "fille," which is the which means son in French. Yeah. Um, and 
One of the reasons he doesn't get talked about a lot, which we'll get into, is that because he is, um, he's half black. Um, he is he is what is referred to at this time as a mulatto um, within within sort of French society, which is largely not a social term now. Not cool. Not- it's very problematic to use. Yeah. That. <laughs> Yeah, but that's that's what he would be referred to at that time. Sure, I sure. Like his official yeah, does yeah. I think you've made definitely um, made that distinction clear. Just so we're not because it, it it's sort of like it's sort of like when you're looking at a historical document and they refer to a black person as as a Negro or 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 black people refer to themselves as that. Right. Um, it's just sort of a term that's representative of a of a time and era and social order. Let's um, talk about Mark Twain. <laughs> they his don't game. really want to <laughs> and the characters they don't really in his books. Bring up. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and Thomas Alexander Dumas was born on March 25th, 1762 in um, Saint-Domaine, which was the sort of the predecessor colony to Haiti. Um, at, at that time, um, it is a French colony and it is largely a sugar producing colony. Um, it has a large population of slaves. Um, and they they sort of have the the amount of slaves is such a such a degree that there are more black people on the island than there are white people um, by by an extreme amount even even more so than say in the Confederacy. Yeah, they're not and um, they're not indigenous. Some of them are though, aren't they? Like, uh, in, well, indigenous Haitians are black, aren't they? No, there there aren't really any indigenous peoples left on these these islands. Yeah, they've been massacred. Um, they, largely because they've been massacred or intermarried. Or disease has wiped them out. Like, for instance, in in like Puerto Rico and, and in a lot of the Caribbean islands, there's the the Taíno tribe, um, and some people will sort of claim that they're that they're Taíno, or they they have sort of a, a Taíno heritage, um, but it's likely um, that the, that that's not really like what we think of in the United States as having you know like being a member of a Native American tribe, mm-hmm. because the a lot of these Native peoples were wiped out very early on by early explorers. Yeah, the Fr- yeah I course. think it's the French, right? The French massacred the Taino, I think. Well, the the Spanish. The Spanish, that that's was, it. Yeah, yeah. Because that was the people Columbus first encountered. Yeah, it's like, that's a um, different episode altogether. You could probably do a whole episode about how bad that is, but... We're gonna do an entire episode of Christopher Columbus in the future, I promise you. I will talk... Let's do it on, like, Christopher Listen, Columbus Day. Yeah, for everybody that's listening, I will talk Professor Steve into doing an episode about how horrendous Christopher Columbus was as a human being. Only only if we do it about the actor first. Chris, yes. I don't know. There's an actor named Chris Christopher Col- Chris, <gasps> Chris Columbus. I don't know, you who, don't know who Chris Columbus is. Um, Go anyway, watch Home Alone, you bastard. Um, uh, so at this time, you know, on, on the island of, of Saint-Domingue, there's a large population of slaves. There's a much smaller population of white people. Um, and and there also emerges a sort of class of people that are of mixed race. Um, it, at this time, if you are if you were sort of a French inhabitant of the colonies, um, you're referred to as a Creole. Mm-hmm. Normally, due to like New Orleans, Creole has a has sort of a connotation of being of mixed race descent. Um, so so being largely either um, uh, black or, or or mostly to the point of that you appear black. I always thought Creole was just a mix of like black and French or Haitian and French. Was it Haitian and French I'm thinking of? Yeah. Or or just essentially um 
the the slave population and and sort of the the white population and, and later on after emancipation um sort of the white and black population i, I meant like kind of like linguistic yeah you're talking like about you creole, say, you say yeah. like someone creole like is creole even though that doesn't really make my, sense because uh, i don't think you could say creole is a language but you could you could say that it has its origins in the bases of french and something else it's usually just like french and then just sort of when you have a language that is comes from a certain time period and is also sort of isolated um, like a bastardized sure some, french yeah it's a, like it's sort a, of like quebec it's called a pigeon is what it is. a pigeon like, like that's what it is because like quebec is based on a very antiquated version of french okay. um some from around like uh, somewhat before this era um so french people usually find like quebec french hilarious because of all the um sort of terms they use and the vocabulary is is different from modern french so it's just very awkward and and to get back to it in in jeremy there is a large population of mixed race people and mixed race people in in sort of um the colony they fill a sort of a role of like an in-between um so these people not only um sort of work regular trades as freed people and and are sort of citizens of the colony they also own, sell, and and manage slaves. Oh, 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 so there isn't really <laughs> <laughs> at, at this time there isn't really that much of a, a racial distinction on on slavery and on sort of um, black people in France at this time, um, and, and and this sort of comes back to to sort of hurt Thomas Alexander Dumas later on um, because. It, there, there wasn't really a conception of, of race in Europe at this time. Um, it's not until you sort of get into the Enlightenment era when people start applying like scientific principles to things, um, they begin to devolve things into sort of this racial model. <laughs> oh, is that um, where we get the uh, the study of skulls and all that other bullshit? Phrenology. Phrenology. Yes, like phrenology. You also have things like the, in, in Mexico and in, in New Spain they had what was called the Casas system. And, and the system was sort of, they had like a big Punit square and it was of like the mixing of the different peoples. And it was like, if you mix like a, a, a person from Spain with a Creole, or, or I guess it wouldn't be a Creole, but but the, the Spanish equivalent or, or with a Native American, like what would be the result? And they all gave them different names and sort of categories and they started ascribing them sort of traits. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, Alex's or, or Dumont's father is—he's um, white. He's—he's he's from France. He's also a, a marquis. Um, a, a marquis is like a sort of like a like a governor sort of level of of nobility. Um, it doesn't really have like a straight equivalent within like sort of a, a standard um, English system that we'd be familiar with. Um, it is above a count. <clears throat> So it'd probably be about equivalent, depending on the era and the place, to about a duke. The only um, marquee that I have ever heard of is the Marquis de Sade, and that's just because I played some. You've never heard of the Marquis yeah. de Lafayette? Nope. I've heard Marquis de Sade. Really? He was like instrumental in the American Revolution. Nope, never heard of him. Wow. I heard of Alphonse Francois. You know, Donatine honestly, Francois. you've probably, I'm going to go ahead and, and say that you have heard of him, you just don't remember, because it was definitely covered... And did you go to? Did we talk about it? Did you go to grade school down here? 
<laughs> no, I went to grade school in Massachusetts. So it must have been covered, because like, I could see like in the South them skipping certain things, because that's a well-known problem with the education system all over the country. <sighs> like Even up in the Black North, they, they, yeah. they don't talk about certain things. But it's like uh, the, the Marquis de Lafayette was instrumental. I mean... We'll, we'll actually talk about him later. He pops up yep. okay, um, cool. during the French Revolution. Yep. Maybe I'll remember. Um, so his his father is his full name is Alexandre Antoine Antoine Davy de la uh, Davy Paratier. That's a long fucking um, name. <laughs> or or usually referred to as refer to him as Antoine. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so much easier. Yeah. <laughs> My yeah, name is Antoine hey. de la 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 la. But Go you, get that mulatto man. His you, name is now Antoine. But you could just call me Antoine. <laughs> His um the the family was based in Normandy. Um they they had sort of um they had sort of come into their their sort of noble um noble standing of being lords in 1632. Um and they had been granted the title of of marquis in uh, 1708. Um, and, and sort of like when they have the Marquis title, it means that they are a ward in sort of an area of France that's on the border, um, because Normandy is like on the English Channel. Um, it's considered, you know, being on the frontier. So I'm sorry, and you may have already said this, but let me go back real fast. What exactly is a Marquis then? Is it just basically like a? Uh, it's so like complicated, dude. It's it's a title. Um, during this period, <laughs> it doesn't really mean much other than the fact that. Um, they're afforded special rights, and then if he joined the military, um, upon proving his his sort of noble lineage, he can become an officer. That's the most important word there. He's basically a member of the nobility at a certain okay, level. There we go. That's all you need to know. Right. Yeah, I yeah, figured okay. that's what you were asking. Yeah, like he's a member of the nobility at a certain level. So think like he's a member of nobility, but so he's like a made man, but he's not like in the family. Think about he's like, kind of like the Duke associate. of Kent, you know, like something like that. Who? The, the, the thing about <laughs> this is, is that in, I don't know who it is either. I just wanted to say it. That Kent might not even have it. Did you hear Oswald's latest bull mo? No, it's all the rage in the salons. Hmm, it's my fa- favorite Patton Oswalt <laughs> bit. It's so good. At, at this time, sort of the nobility is becoming um, less and less sort of relevant to society because they don't really have, because it's sort of a vestige of a feudal medieval system. And the idea of having sort of these, these noble wards is that if the king needs to go to war or, or in order for the king to collect taxes, um, he gets them from these people, and these people get them from the people under them. Okay. So nothing, nothing and, has and changed. Now, and now that sort of <laughs> they they rely on sort of a modern army and a modern navy, they don't have to go to these guys for soldiers when it comes time to fighting. And largely during this period, the the French kings have told them to become. Uh, 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 I guess the it's kind of hard to describe it, but to become businessmen. Yeah, they're they're trying to Michael Corleone it. Yeah, like, yeah, they're essentially like rich, powerful assholes, and then they're just trying to become businessmen. Which which is why Antoine is in it's Haiti at this time, or in in Saint Domingue, because he is he's sort of starting up a a plantation. He eventually settles on coffee, and he does this in order. Um, to make money to bring in revenue for the family back in Europe, because being a noble in France at this time is becoming increasingly more expensive. 
largely because they have to keep up with sort of the demands of the the French king because he's very much on like fancy parties and, and how to dress and the French king sort of uses this as a way to control the nobles and make sure they're weak um, but it puts a heavy price on them okay uh, Dumas' mother is uh, Marie Cesse uh, uh, Dumas, and she is a um, she was a slave that was owned by the Marquis, um, and she has been described as the great matriarch to a saga of distinguished men. Wow! What does that mean? I think it, it, it means, means exactly because... what she said. <laughs> like, is she a whore? Is that what? This no, is? no, no, no! It means that, it means that Jesus. <laughs> Christ! It, it, I don't know. All I, all I heard was she was a great matriarch to a saga of distinguished men. So this how does that like mean whore? A lot of dudes like her. <laughs> oh well, no. What it what it means is that she, her son, she was, her grandson, yeah. and her great grandson were some of the most notable men. In right? French she history. gave but matriarch uh, means she gave, she was the mother, gotcha, not gotcha. the whore. <laughs> <laughs> God! <laughs> what? Oh my God! All I heard was it was a lot of men. In Martha Boston. Washington is known as the Great Whore of America. <laughs> the Whore of Babylon is rolling in her grave for being Steve, equated to St- Marie Cessette Dumas. Steve can't sigh enough right now. <laughs> He's done with us. He's, his whole breathing pattern has just changed into size. Seventeen minutes in, he wants to end this episode right now. <laughs> Oh, my God. Um, Marie and and Antoine, their relationship was not um, made official by law um, because their relationship was actually um, illegal under French law at this time. Their their relationship would be closer to her being his mistress. Hmm. Why was it illegal? Just just what happened was that. Well, what happened was that um, Louis the the Fourteenth in sixteen eighty five he passed what is called the Code Noir, and the Code Noir, the Black Code, was the, sort of the first codification of laws involving slavery in the colonies that, mm-hmm. that had sort of been created at that time, um, and sort of set down like what could and could not be done in the colonies, and this ranged from everything from religion to to sort of marriage and and childhood and slaves. And one of the reasons why this pops up is because France has sort of this complicated history with slavery, um, because one of sort of the rules of France that it sort of prided itself mm-hmm. on was liberty. Yeah, there shouldn't, there should be no man in France who's a slave, essentially. And this sort of comes into an issue because they had cases where slaves would sort of sneak onto ships. They would they would ride the ship to France. They would get off the ship, and then they would say they were no longer. Slaves. Yeah, as soon as they touch French soil, they should no longer be enslaved because there's no slaves in France. And then Which they would also, correct. too, um, sort of if their master died while they were in France with them, um, they would sort of argue that they were free. Um, so they had to start codifying all of this. And so France has been super progressive since the 1700s. Well, uh, I, would, I don't I know would, if I'd go that far. Yeah, the, the reason why that rule exists is because the Muslims, like all of the Muslim areas sort of in the Middle East and North Africa, they all had slaves before this point, and they still have slaves at this point. So it was basically to, a law that was made to say, you guys can keep them, but we're not going to do anything further with it. Well, well, no, what... what uh, the the code noir sort of and, and they they keep making laws until um, until the, the ancien regime 
of, of sort of the kingdom of France collapses. But the idea is is that because, you know, the Muslims are the ones who, like, conquer and keep slaves, right. you know, the righteous people of God are not the ones who keep slaves. Gotcha. Um, and, this, okay. and this in the past mainly applied to people from Eastern Europe and Southeastern Europe who would be taken as slaves by the Ottoman Empire or other places. And it also applied to Native Americans in the past. I also found it very interesting that they didn't have or they didn't consider slavery to be a black thing. Like it wasn't an African-American or a person of color thing as, as we understand slavery in the Americas, you know. What did yeah, they just say? Are you poor? You're a slave. If you, it was just a well, different class of people. You were a slave. You weren't. I wonder it, if it wasn't. Okay, so let me ask: Was it actually slavery, or was it just them? It was 100 percent working class dude. or the poor class. It, well, no, slaves, it was. Even though they it was a, it was a, it was about. Slavery. It was slavery, dude. Um, okay. Because it, it's not until sort of the things go on with the colonies that that slavery begins to be introduced in sort of European society. Um, before then, slavery didn't exist in European society. Yeah, I um, thought so like I was trying to determine if they were actively participating in slavery and trying to church it up. Yeah, or were not participating in slavery, and that's just kind of what they called the working class. <laughs> they're not slaves; they're volunteers. Yeah, they're indentured servants. Fuck off. What, what happens is is because they don't really have a conception of race at this point, um, because. Although, you know, people of color are coming into Europe before this point, um, they don't really have sort of an idea of race as we do today. It's not cons- it's not the same idea, essentially. It's Yeah, it's not it's not until sort of these scientific definitions of race come in right. that you start to see sort of when people start talking about, you know, the African race and, so and all sorts it, so of other then, people. Like, racism couldn't have been a thing? Well, no, it like, it, it's, it's sort of a different... Um, sort of thing that that we're sort of when people look back on it, it it's very easy to ascribe our own beliefs and sort of structures on them um but the structure of race as it exists today did not exist back in this point okay. and it's not to say that people weren't racist or prejudiced it, it's just that they didn't see things in the same way because they didn't really have an idea of you know genetics or or sort of how like ethnicities come into existence okay. and i feel like if we keep going down this path we're going to start talking about like what they actually believed and how you know just because someone's skin color is different how they like they automatically knew like what class that yeah that's just going to be a whole it's a different conversation that 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 does that does come up later on which we'll we'll talk oh yeah it comes full circle but in under the code noir um all slaves had to be um sort of brought into the roman catholic religion and all other religions were prohibited um and also, too, only Catholic marriages in the colonies would be recognized, and all Jews would be unable to reside within the French colonies. Wow, Jews getting catching shit back <clears throat> throughout history. God, Jews can't catch a break. I, you know, <laughs> yeah, there were, it's true. They most, can't catch a break. Most of the rules involving um, sort of relationships with slaves were based on a female slave and a free man. That's, uh... So, and sort of within the Roman tradition, um, if the father was um, <clears throat> unmarried and he um, he should marry um, the the slave concubine, um, all um, her and her children would become free. Um, so this is sort of a dissent. Yeah, absolutely, that should be for, what it is for for slaveholders to sort of carry on relationships with their slaves. 
that should absolutely um, be what it is. You want slave? Fine. But if you want to fuck your slaves, they're free. And uh, them and their other, whole goddamn family are free. So I was other, I wasn't paying attention for a second there. What the fuck did you just say? <laughs> I I said the the rule was that if the father was unmarried, um, and he would marry the the slave <clears throat> concubine that he had, um, the children and the slave would become free. So again, if you want to have a slave and you want to fuck that slave, fine, but they're free now. If they didn't do that, um, the fine. Um, for both uh, the father and the slave's master was 2,000 pounds of sugar. So yeah. the guy that had sex with his slaves, if he didn't want to marry them and bring them in to make them free, it was a fine of how much sugar? 2,000 pounds. Do we have any kind of um, understanding of what that would like cost? It would, it would be a lot. Um, but, but one of the issues with this is because it's just very hard to enforce... Um, that it didn't really get enforced that often. It's not that hard to... Never mind. <laughs> like I said, you see a kid who's mixed, it's like, hey, bro, did, are, did you marry your slave? No, but you fucked her? Cool, give me the sugar. Like, I don't... <sighs> and, and also, too, if the father was a slave's master, um, in addition to the, the fine of the sugar, um, the slave and any resulting children would be removed from his ownership, but not freed. Um, and, and this is a case where the state sort of takes... The, the slave and it becomes a property of the state and they usually sell them on market and then recoup the money. Oh my god. So the government was sell resell you know what? Yeah. Number two. <sighs> Fucking god. And and just like in the in the United States, you know, all sort of um, the the sort of relationships between slaves and their children, um, it was all um, it was all sort of controlled by the state. Um and then two, if a if a um, if a male slave and a and a free woman, um, if they had children, um, they would be they would be free. And then um, so that was that was sort of the, the difference as well, right? Um, and, and just sort of the normal pro- prohibitions that slaves would have to follow. They couldn't carry weapons, of course. Um, they couldn't sell things. They couldn't do anything other than sort of work. Yeah, they, they um, couldn't do anything. The, slave got a slave, basically. And then also the. <laughs> the fuck? I'm saying that's the that was the slave gonna slave. That was the rule. That. Yeah, that's bullshit. And but it was the rule. Masters masters were required um, to to sort of care for their slaves as well. They had to give them food and they had to give them clothing. You goddamn right. At the to, bare minimum, that's what you should be they, giving. They also you had to be. take care of them. Yeah, you goddamn right. Healthcare, working. <laughs> I want a working wage. <clears throat> All that shit. A living wage. Um, there, there was also a little bit better than than sort of laws in in the Americas because a, a slave husband and wife, um, their children, if they were under, um, if they were prepubescent, um, they couldn't be sold separately. So they had to keep the families together until the the children became of age. Okay, okay. Let me just stop real quick. Just real fast. Mm-hmm. As disgusting as the institution of slavery is, at least France was doing it right. So there were things in, about French slavery. This book makes it very clear that there yeah, were like things slavery, about okay, it. Okay, I just want to make sure that there is no, absolutely no getting this mixed up. Slavery is disgusting in any and all contexts. Yeah. However, this is a different point well, in history where slavery was looked at differently. Well, if you think, and I can if you think you're going to get France was doing it right, you're giving the French making you, get, you can give the French credit on the beginning here, but 
let Steve go on because you'll see. Can I just stop at the beginning? Oh, no. <laughs> Can I just uh, like, no, not you can't. even know how it You're going to have to suffer a little bit there, bud. I know. Hey there, bud. <laughs> you're going to have to suffer, bud. And I'm just like, no! <laughs> Please and thank you. One of the things, too, is that um, a lot of the ways in order slaves could be freed were prescribed in the law. Um, if a slave master was, was 20 years of age, um, they could free their slaves. At, at age 25, they could do so without parental permission. Um, slaves who were declared um, the sole uh, legatees of their masters or named as executors of their wills or tutors of their children um, should be held and considered as freed slaves, meaning that if any of if any of the the slaves had sort of carried on that sort of relationship within the household, that if um, the master had passed away, they would be considered freed automatically. That's pretty cool. Um, freed slaves were French subjects, even if born elsewhere. Freed so slaves. When you say French subject, you basically just mean that they need to be loyal to the French royalty. Well, it's no, not they're that. considered they're the considered same the as same. Like a, a white yeah. French subject. Yeah, exactly. So citizen, basically, then. Yeah, the, sure. the term citizen doesn't come in until after the revolution. Yeah, but citizen um, before but it was... Ci- okay. It, uh, the equivalent would be a, a subject, because it's a kingdom, you, you are a subject of the kingdom, um, because power derives from the king, therefore you are a subject of the king regardless of your station. A resident, how's that sound? Is that a better No, it's, it's a subject. Subject. It's so important that you use the right phrase here, it's not even pedantic. Because <laughs> like okay. right. consider the fact that the king is, is all-powerful... And a well, citizen. No, 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 I get that. I get that. What right. I'm saying is, could it be related to just basically like a resident? You could understand it, means. like I guess from that. Well, it's it's not a resident because you can reside somewhere and not be a citizen in modern terms. And the same is true that you could be within France and you would not be a subject of the French <laughs> king. You would be a you would be a resident of France, but not a subject of the. King. You're just let's just say that they're French. They're considered <laughs> French. They, they they would be considered French, okay, they're um, French, and they would have the same rights as any other French colonial subject. Bunch of frog-eating um, Frenchies, and that also well, the frog um, wasn't either. introduced until after the revolution. All right, sorry, professor. Uh, and with all fees paid to the Code Noir, um, all of it would go. Um, to the royal administration, so to the to the crown, uh, but one third would be assigned to the local hospital. Oh, that's pretty sweet. You hear that? State sponsored healthcare. healthcare. Universal health, single payer, goddamn system is what I'm fucking talking about. Ugh, it's the only thing that's fair. Three hundred goddamn years ago, they could get this shit. We can't even get it today. Right, sorry, go ahead. Well, you know the problem. We don't have a king. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so growing up, growing up, Alex had two siblings. He had um, he had two sisters, um, Adolpha and Jeanette, and he had an older sister, an older half sister from his mother um, named Mary Rose, who was um, born before um, his father had bought his mother. God, that sounds so disgusting when you say that like that. Like, and I, I understand that that's exactly well, what happened, and that's gets, exactly how it has to be referred to. But when you say before his father bought his mother, that sounds just oh God, it doesn't sound good at all. Yeah, it's well, it gets worse because no, um, before no. <laughs> before his father went back to France, um, he sold all of Alexander's siblings and his mother um, before arranging to take himself and his son back to France. Yep. 
Um, we don't really know um, much about his mother. We don't know what her date of birth is, um, but um, or her date of death. But he does list his, her date of death as happening before 1792. Um, and the reason why he does this is because when he gets married um, in 1792, um, he has to have parental permission to marry his wife, and his father was dead at that point. Um, so he, he just puts down that his mother was already dead because it would be pretty much impossible to find her. That's fair, yeah. So we, we don't really know what happened to the siblings. Um, they sort of disappear um, from, from sort of history. Hmm. In, in 1776, when Alex was 14 years old, um, his father would sell him for 800 French uh, livres um, in Port-au-Prince to a, a lieutenant, uh, Jacques Louis um, Brossel, um, but unofficially to, to a captain named uh, uh, Long. When, when he did sell off Alex, um, part of the deal was that there was a right of redemption um, provided... Um, that Alexander would be taken to France and with with Lang, uh, Longlois and, and a temporary loan would be given to pay for his father's passage. So essentially, while he did sell his son, his son was sort of being sold as collateral. And the boy, uh, Alex, would accompany um, Langlois to, to Le Havre, uh, France, uh, arriving on August 30th, 1776. Uh, Le Havre. Um, where's, uh, what? Le Havre is a great board game. Um, it is <laughs> top ten. Tom Vazel, go ahead. Dice Tower. Listen, top ten board games in order. Ready? Cribbage, <laughs> Monopoly. <laughs> I just I listen. I just I just right there. Just saying, Cribbage. I alienated half of our. There's friends nothing wrong with Cribbage. It's just that no, they just don't it's know what 2020, it is. It's so. Hey, fuck you! I like cribbage. I like cribbage. I'm not saying what. To, what are you saying? Fuck me! What are you, Bud Abbott? Because you said it's 2020. Like we shouldn't be playing it. <laughs> I didn't say we shouldn't be playing it. <laughs> Jesus! Like, oh, it's 2020. First, this guy's matriarch, who's got this grand title and reference, is a whore, and now I'm telling people they shouldn't be playing cribbage. <laughs> I don't think you should be drinking all these Goose Islands. No, I'm just kidding. Drink more. Making him angry. Okay. <laughs> he's, he's channeling the goose. You wouldn't like me when I'm goosed no. up. Every 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 time he opens the can, there's sort of like a, a faint silhouette of a goose appears <laughs> over him. Well, that was my third, and I can feel the goose getting closer. Oh my god! Um, so when when Alex arrives in France, his father buys him back from the captain, um, and they go on living together. Um, one of the main reasons why why Antoine did this was because his siblings had sort of died off and he had inherited the family estate. Um, so he moved back to France to sort of live on the estate and just sort of live large. Hell yeah. Um, so from August 1776 to the autumn of 1778, um, Alex, um, then using the name um, Thomas Retore, um, he lived with his father at the family estate in uh, belleville on co uh, Normandy, uh, but his father would sell the estate in 1777, and then they moved to a townhouse on the Rue de l'Agle d'Or in, um, in in a Parisian suburb. Um, there, Alex would study at um, Nicolas Texier de la uh, Buisserie, um, where he was given um, sort of 
the the standard high education that a noble would receive at that time. So, so it was like a private school. Yep. It, it well, all all schools are private schools at this point. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> um, he would he would also study under under a sort of notable um, other mixed race person from the French Caribbean, uh, a figure known as the the Chevalier de Saint George, um, who was a um, he he was sort of this famous. Um, sort of swordsman that that served in the court of the king um and, and he was sort of a celebrity at the time and, and alex would learn how to Sorry. how to sword fight and do all sorts of the other things from this man okay he was a superman chevalier saint georges um and a chevalier is, is that like where a we knight. get the chevrolet um cavalier it is, is it is that, it's that, the that same thing? exact thing I think it's actually the Chevy Lumina that they... (laughs) It is is a name that invokes the grandeur of l'Ancien Regime in France. Now, what Steve just said... There's nothing about the Chevy Cavalier that is reminiscent of anything. See, now, what Steve just said was that he was a whore. That's what he said. (laughs) (laughs) He was a French sword whore. He he did everything. He he knew how to handle a sword if you get punched. He was a swordsman. They used J.O. crystals way back then. Ho! <laughs> um, one of the things that happens during this period is after Antoine sort of sells the family estate, um, he spends lavishly on his son and on himself. Um, and and one of um, one of Antoine's notaries would say that the that the boy Alex had cost uh, had cost his father enormously. Um. They, they live a life of considerable leisure until about 1786, so from the ages of 15 to 24. Um, and, and a lot of this is sort of done in, in sort of like a dirtbag way. His father is like well-known um, for taking out a lot of loans and, and sort of dodging his creditors um, to, sort of, to sort of live lavishly. So he's basically like living on credit, I guess? I Well, he, kind of, yeah. Kind of, sort of? Yeah, he's like he's it looks the, a lot better than what his actual financial status is. Yeah, the 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 sort of collections people are always after him. Yeah, American Express, <laughs> Visa, <laughs> Visa's calling him. Chevalier card for uh, Alexander, dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> hey, can you can you keep talking to me while we tow your horse? <laughs> <laughs> Don't tow <do> my horse. <laughs> In. In 1784, uh, Alex moves out of his, his sort of his father's house into his own apartment on the Rue Etienne um, near the Louvre in Paris. All right, Dad, uh, I'm moving out, Dad. And and he sort of um, he sort of goes about um, sort of um, sort of cruising around town, um, just sort of being like a, a shiftless gentleman. He doesn't really have any sort of purpose to his life. Um, in, in September of 1784, um, there's an incident that happens to him at a theater. Um, in Paris called the Nicolette Theater um, where he's in the company of, of a quote-unquote beautiful Creole woman. Um, and, and sort of these these women from the colonies are seen as being like exotic um, not because of, you know, the color of their skin, but just because, you know, a woman who comes from the frontier um, she, she's seen as being, you know, like like, like very courageous and like very rough, you know, ready ready to go. So, so if we're gonna, if we're gonna like set the set the stage, she's that bitch. It's it's Alexander <laughs> dumbass with a beautiful Creole woman. Who's that bitch? Getting harassed in a theater. Who is that? Yeah, that bitch. Yeah, getting and, harassed in a theater because he's black and she is, I'm assuming, black. No, she's white. Creole woman is white. Yeah. 
Because okay. remember, I said Creole just means a, a French person from the colonies. Yeah, at the okay, time. Okay, okay. Yeah, Usually, right, at this fair. person as well, um, a mixed race person like him would be referred to as an American. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and they're they're sort of at the theater while this this French naval officer named Jean Pierre Titon de, de Saint Romain and, and two of his sort of uh, people. Um, they, they sort of harass him in the movie theater and, and sort of, like, try to scoop up this woman from him. Mr. Mr. Steal Your Girl. Yeah, and, and Alex <laughs> is very indignant about this. Um, they don't come to blows, um, but they're, they're sort of um, these protests because the man who, who's sort of a, a very racist sort of naval officer um, from Martinique, um, he, he tries to force um, Alex to, to kneel before him and beg what? for his freedom. What? Which is a bad thing to the, do to Alex Dumas, how, as you'll learn. And, and how one is of the, Alex Dumas going to beg for his freedom when he's kneeling in front of this guy? Well, you're, you're, is he, is he, you, you, he dead? One of the reasons for this is because he is a mixed race. And at this time in France, you have to have documentation if you are a mixed race or black, stating like who you are and where you're from, and if you have a master, who your master is. And they've already started a system of sort of establishing these depots in the harbor where if they find a black person or a mixed race person um, and, and sort of the police find them, they don't have these papers, they send them to this depot and then they sort of um, exile them back to the colonies. I feel like if you're at a theater. So remember when you said people, you thought it was like, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but remember when you said you thought France was progressive for the time? <laughs> think about think about what Steve just said. Yeah, so what yeah. what what happens is is that sort of the end of, of sort of the French kingdom. There, one of the chancellors is this guy named Ponce, and Ponce is like very much obsessed with sort of. He's like, like Prince, but he has he, one name. It's just Ponce. <laughs> He's like Madonna, yeah. Prince, Sting. Okay, one name. But but he he sort of he, he becomes in charge of, of sort of like establishing these policies and enforcing them and he's of the belief that if if these black people come into france that eventually you know they're they're gonna like uh, take over it, it's sort of like that that modern day racist ideology you know of like the culture is going the, to get wiped out he, what they he's very the much genocide? one of those types of people it's, he's yeah, a yeah. white genocider yeah. kind of yeah he, he's sort of of that belief. And this is sort of becoming a common trend at sort of the end of the 18th century. It's hyper-nationalism of, is what it is. Of, of these sort of people believing, you know, that that these other races from outside of Europe, that they're barbarians, and that if they interbreed with Europeans, it's going to destroy Europe. That's disgusting. Um, but, yep. but at the end of this incident, um, the police report that uh, Teton, uh, the, the naval officer, chose not to press charges. Um, and, and everyone was released. Good. Good. Um, Teton probably but, knew but, he was going to get the shit kicked out of him by Alexander, dumbass. I'm sorry, Dumas. Oh, you'll say. Yes, who is, <laughs> like, if if he was being played by an actor in, like, his autobiographical film, it would probably be, like, Terry Crews. Yeah, he's a big guy for the time. Big guy, athletic. He, he's, like, he's, he's very tall. I, I think they said he was, like, six foot three, six foot four. Um, what? Very athletic. Yeah, think about it. It's 1700s, early 1700s France, and he's like six two to six four, and he's a, and so he's I'm athletic. Thinking, like, Hulk, would Hulk I be Hogan to- hairline in most of the pictures? But would I be totally off, like off base, if I 
was constantly thinking of this guy being like Idris Elba. He probably Idris Elba is not that tall, but he he looks like you know. I would say like he's got. The, I really don't. Take he's the, got the build of Idris Elba. Yeah, okay. like Idris, Idris Elba when he's like gotten Idris buff Elba. for a movie. Yeah, but Terry okay. Crews is probably a better because Terry Crews is jacked, man. Oh Yoked. God. Yeah, yeah. Love Terry okay. Crews. Great, great person. Um, in in 1786, um, in February, um, Dumas's father. Uh, marries a a domestic servant named uh, uh, Fran Fran Cosé uh, Reto. I'm sorry. Try that one more time. <laughs> what was this? Come on, what, man. What was it like? I understand you're not French, and this is not your first it's language. Like, but I guess it would be what is Fran, name? Francoise. You know what's crazy is Steve's actually completely 100 percent fluent in France and lived there for 17 years. <laughs> it is F R A N. C-O-I-S-E and there's like a sort of a, an accent I, I forget what the name of it is but when it's the thing that comes off the bottom of the C oh I don't know what that's called either I know, I know, I know, he, even, I know he even like, took the word accent gra- and made it French gra- accent. well I, I took French for three years in high school and they do have like sort of French names for these like yeah of course of course yeah but he, he marries the servant um, but, but Dumas is not very happy with this uh, mostly because the the woman is, she she's not really a big fan of Alex. Mostly because he's just sort of shiftless. Like she's like your son just sort of spends all your money and just gallivants around town. He doesn't really like do anything. Um, and because she's sort of from a working class background, um, she sort of thinks his son should have like a job. I mean that's fair. Uh, um, am I am I totally like wrong for being no? Like, oh, bro, you're not stop fucking like living off your dad. Like get a job, even if it's just you know like a like a bustler or a a, a shouter. What do they call those people that try to get you into like the movie theaters? Bus- like hey, come a check tout? out these guys, huh? A tout, maybe a bustler. Like the guys that stand outside the theaters and try to like shout to get you to come in to be like, hey, check out this new show we've got going on tonight. Oh, uh, like he a, can do a crier? Me, he can do anything. Like a crier. <laughs> Yeah, cry. Hear ye, hear ye. Like Homer. Look at that cry, boys. Well, not like hear ye, hear ye. A lot of times, if you want to get into like stand-up comedy, they'll have I, you I know stand outside. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. they'll have you stand outside. Clothes. Why don't you they'll come in like, inside the theater to see Medea's family reunion? Hey, we have most funny guy in USA tonight in the club. Come on in and laugh. I'm Alexandra Dumas, man. and I am Russian now. No, I am <laughs> I am Leo Trotsky. I got exiled from Russia. Now I'm here as I was exiled from the ether before I was born. I needed a job so crying to get you to come into comedy club, is it? Uh, now that Code uh, Noir codified F- F- that Trotsky wasn't allowed in revolutionary France. <laughs> after after his father gets married, um when Dumas refuses to sign the marriage contract, and sort of this begins a period of cooling the off. The son has to sign um, it? Well, no, he refused to be a witness. Oh, okay. okay. To sign his Ooh, witness to the marriage contract. And he also, um, they, his father also began sort of tightening his allowance during this period. Oh, yeah, you won't sign, um, boy? Well, guess what? You're only getting seven pence. Yeah, you're not going to get a million, uh, what do they use for currency? Fr- 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 you're not going to get a, You're not going to get all the francs you want now. But no more I, I think one of the you. reason, one of the reasons why there there was sort of this cooling in the relationship is not because of the marriage; it's because of the his his new his new stepmother is opposed to him, you know, just being a layabout. Right. Which is 
That's totally reasonable, too. If, if, which, if indeed no, he was layabout, which he largely was. Like, and, I don't see a problem with her being like, yo, you need to do something to get some money. But I also kind of see it as a problem being like, bitch, you married into this family for money. Like, let's hold off for a minute. Like, you're um, going to get the money regardless. Or I don't mean, like, you married in for money, but, like, you married in and you're automatically going to get money because you married into this family. Like, let's let's slow down on 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 tossing around who needs to do what. And this leads to a period where Alex sort of, um, he doesn't live, he doesn't become destitute, but he, but he sort of, like, comes to realize, you know, what it is to live without, you know, having this sort of generous allowance. And in order to Good. remedy this... On June second of seventeen eighty six, um, he enlists in the French army as a private, which is the lowest rank. Good for him. I like that humility. Um, humility. And, and so, it, in seventeen eighty one, there was established a rule, um, sort of that rule I mentioned before, that if you wanted to be an officer in the military, you had to prove four generations of nobility in order to get a commission as an officer. Could you um, earn officer rank any other way? No, the only way you could become an officer was to be from the nobility. It would be nobility, um, okay. So, Dubois could do this, but because of the way of French laws were, um, it would make him hard for him to claim the status. Um, because of a lot of the irregularities with like how he came to France and, and sort of his father's relationship with his mother, um, because they had never been married. A long story um, it, short, sort of, is it because he's mixed? Yeah, and, and sort of the nature of his his relationship with his his parents and his and with his father. Yeah. Um, and according to um, Alexander Dumas, his son, um, the the account was that when his grandfather had heard of his father's plan um, to join the army, he asked that his son take a nom de guerre, uh, sort of like a name for the military. Um, because he didn't want his family name to be drugged through the lowest ranks of the army. Um, because if you're like in the lowest ranks of the military at this point, it, it's like pretty bad. Yeah. Um, and the way the way the military works in France at this point is that in order to like sign up to join the military is you have to find a specific regiment and you have to join with them. Um, and he signs up with the sixth regiment of the Queen's Dragoons. And when he does so, he does under the name Alexander Dumas. And 13 days after he does this, his father dies. Wow. Um, he, he's originally, um, the, the dragoons are, are sort of posted um, in, in Leon, uh, Picardy, close to the border with what is then the Austrian Netherlands. I just, I, I gotta go back. Every time I hear you say Dragoons, all I think of is StarCraft. <laughs> all I think of is Final Fantasy. There's Dragoons in Final Fantasy? Yeah, Kane. Well, well, the term the term Dragoon comes from a horseman. Yeah. In, in sort of France from sort of a period before this in the, in the 16th century. Mm-hmm. Because they would use, they would use these pistols, the, these sort of longboard pistols, that when you fired them, they would sort of um, spit fire. What? It, it because the because when the when when you shot them they would sort of have this like blow of fire out the barrel of this gun. They referred to the soldiers who wielded them as dragoons, like a dragon. Oh, okay, I get it, I get it. Yeah, no, I say StarCraft just because the Protoss race in StarCraft had the dragoons, which were the um, 
basically equivalent to a tank. They were the distance attack. Yeah, they were the the four legged. Um, yeah, guys. the four legged like distance mm. distance attackers. Te- technically, they're they're dead Protoss. Oh wait, what? In sort of the lore of StarCraft, when a, when a Zealot, which is the main unit of the yeah. Protoss, when they die, yep. their remains get interred into the um, into the Dragoon if they're if they're still like barely alive, and then they like serve out the rest of their life as like a walking. Very Warhammery. What? Yeah, bro, you just blew my fucking mind. Listen, I, we've That's... been over this before. I was a huge StarCraft fanboy, and I never knew that. What? That's why when you look at the portrait of the dragoon, it, it's like a very like decrepit looking like face. That's yeah, like covered yeah, yeah. in like cybernetics. It's because yeah. it's essentially like a like a, a near dead body on life support. Speaking of dragoons, what? that's fucking. I have like God. Um, I never knew that. It's awesome. So in in on August fifteenth of seventeen eighty nine, um, after the French Revolution begins, um, Alex and his unit are sent um, to a small town called uh, Villa. Cotourettes. Um, this this town, um, sort of after the French Revolution begins, um, they start forming these sort of national guard units. And the leader of this national guard unit, which is kind of like a militia, is this innkeeper named Claude uh, Labouret. Um, and, and he had sort of called for the, the government to send people in um, in response to sort of this wave of rural violence that was called the Great Fear. And what happens is, is that after the French Revolution takes off, um, very much like the French Revol- or very much like the Russian Revolution, um, they don't immediately go to you know just like decapitating people. Um, they just don't go straight to the guillotines. Um, the king is still alive at this point. He's sort of going along with the revolution to a degree. Um, and, and I'm sorry, what? The king was going along with it? Didn't he like? Did he think that if he went along with it, his head wouldn't end up on the block? Well, what what happens is is that the king is going along with it, and the idea initially is that they're going to have a constitutional monarchy like Great Britain. Okay. So the king, in order to save himself, he he sort of goes along with this because he realizes, you know, that he's screwed. Gotcha. Um, and. And there's sort of this panic called the Great Fear, and what happens is, is that from July 11, 1789 to August 6, 1789, there, there's sort of panic and unrest in the countryside. And, and up to this point, there had been a lot of like fears and discontent in the countryside over food, and, and just sort of the general way of things going on, because France is in a really bad like situation at this point. Um, the French and Indian War had, had took a big toll on France, they'd lost most of their colonies, it hurt them economically um, because they still had to pay for the war. And then France helping the American Revolution also sort of led to the end of the French king um, because France bankrupted itself helping um, the formation of the United States. But they got to give the finger to England, so that's all they gave a fuck about. So <laughs> I, ironically, times. Yeah, yeah, they were I, like, hey, fuck you. We are broke, but fuck you. We beat you. So ironically, the the French crown's sort of support of of these sort of American patriots sort of leads to its own downfall and the rise of these French patriots. Everything America touches gets fucking killed. Well, they yeah. Um, well, no, that's not the point. The point is is that France lent money to the you know they they backed they lent money and soldiers to the American Revolution to support the American Revolution, and they went bankrupt and then ended up turning on them into a revolution against the nobility there. So it's like a almost because, like a domino effect. Because yeah. the French Revolution is largely based on the American Revolution. Right. It, it's inspired. Like, the French Revolution probably would not have happened 
at least in the way it did, if the American Revolution had never happened. It's even probably, in a lot of ways, it, this book really put a light to it. It's even more extreme than the American Revolution. I mean, yeah. the American Revolution didn't have guillotines. Well, yeah, it didn't. Yeah, absolutely. It gets uh, There's a lot of Don't that. worry about it. The next one will. <sighs> oh, my God. Um, <laughs> Want to get us banned from Facebook? <laughs> Um, there goes our Home Depot well, money. Well, well, <laughs> I know. While Dumas is is in um, in this village on the sort of this mission, all of the soldiers are are lodged with different people in the in the city that put them up. Um, they don't really have a general place for them to stay, and so the the Labourets, um, they want to take Dumas because um, everybody wants to sort of have him stay with them because you know he's like the most interesting man in the group. Even though he's only a pirate or a private, um, <laughs> he, he is, um, he, he, you know, he's a mixed race, you know, they, he, he just seems like a very interesting fellow. You know, he's very tall. He's very handsome. Um, so they want him. And so he stays with them for about four months. Um, and during that time, he eventually becomes engaged to their daughter, um, uh, Marie Louise. Um, Labore is is okay with this. But he said that they couldn't get married until uh, Dumas got a promotion so that he would be able to support both of them. Um, eventually, when he does return um, to marry her, he will have gotten um, four promotions. Wow. Um, and on S- July 17, 1791, um, the, the Queen's Dragoons are sort of sent back to Paris. Um, initially, when the French Revolution breaks out and the Bastille is stormed, uh, the Queen's Dragoons had sort of sat in their barracks. They didn't really take part. Um, but um, during this uh, sort of riot that happens on the on the Champ de Mars, um, he serves as riot police alongside National Guard units under the Marquis de Lafayette. And what happens is is that um, these these sort of uh, the sort of crowd is formed. And they sort of have a signed petition asking for the removal of the French king. Get rid of his ass. Um, they, they want him removed. Um, even though he's sort of going along with things, um, they, they want him gone because they say, like, what he's done cannot be taken back and they should just get rid of him. Basically, he raised the Netflix prices across France. Yeah. That, that'd be more of a Hungarian thing, you know. The internet price goes up, so they kill half the countryside. Yeah, my people. Oh my god! (laughs) In in sort of this, in sort of this riot that breaks out, um, the troops kill between twelve and fifty people um, when things turn violent. Um, Dumas, like he, he'll claim later on, you know, that he tried um, to show restraint. Um, and did his best to stop it from turning into a massacre because um, two years later at the Committee of Public Safety, um, he'll be announced. Um, but Dumont claims that his intervention um, had saved as many as 2,000 people. Um, so, now, can we, can we verify that, or is he just bragging and trying to say, like, just well, up his numbers? Well, that's what he says, and, and that's sort of to, to save him from getting guillotined by the Committee of Public Safety. But yeah. I would say, and I'm wearing Dumas. I'm wearing Dumas colored glasses. Yeah, it's probably true. Like he's okay. he's he's he, largely he's a very honorable. honest and upstanding man. Yeah, he's like a okay. he's like a a, a uh, Maximus Decimus Meridius character. 
Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> He's a badass fighter, too. We'll get to that, I guess. Okay. Yeah. And, and on April 1792, um, Dumas, uh, now he had been raised to the rank of corporal, um, he sees his first combat um, when France invades the Austrian Netherlands. Um, he was one of um, 10,000 men um, under the command of a general, uh, Biron, and he would be stationed in the Belgian frontier um, town of, of Maud on August 11, 1792. Um, at this place, um, he famously captures 12 enemy soldiers while leading a small scouting party of, of four to eight horsemen. Um, so they come across these soldiers. Um, the, the soldiers try to run from him. Um, they, they sort of get across this ditch and they don't think Dumas is going to follow them. But he jumps his horse over the ditch because he's a very accomplished horseman and he's able to like catch them. Yeah, and it and it's kind of <laughs> uh, like yeah, you thought, isn't it, don't they frame that like that? It's like insane that he did that. Like it was like a, it was like parkour, you know? Yeah, it, his ability to do this was like considered very remarkable, um, and and also like capturing the the tw- just him on his own capturing these twelve men. Yeah, like him by himself does crazy shit with a horse, captured 12 men on his own. Because this is, this is like a newspaper story. At the Imagine time. I asked you to go get 12 men, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I could provide nine. Maybe. Maybe, right? <laughs> I don't think I could get three. <laughs> nine at best. In On October 1792, um, Dumas accepts a commission as a lieutenant colonel, um, which is the second in command of the Le Légion uh, Francais d'Américain et du Midi, um, which was founded um, a month earlier by this man named Julien uh, Raymond. Um, what, what begins to happen during the during this period of the French Revolution is they begin founding these like free legions, which are separate from the army, um, but they're composed of, of these sort of um, the, these sort of free men of color. So everybody in this unit is um, is a mixed race, or or they are like fully black, um, and it is often called the American Legion um, because, like I said earlier, you know if you're of mixed race or black um, in France, they refer to you as an American um, or the Black Legion, um, and it's also known as Saint George's Legion um, because its main commanding officer um, is the Chevalier de Saint George, um, Dumas's uh, former instructor. Super swordsman. Uh, yeah, the the Black Legion had sort of poached um, Dumas um, because they offered him a commission of lieutenant colonel um, because he had been offered another commi- a lower commission by another Free Legion. Is lieutenant colonel like super high? Like it's second because I, I don't know where the Se- he said it's second in he's, command. He's, he's second in command. Second so in command. He, okay. So he's he's not he like and he ends up being in command most of the time um, because Saint George. Um, is absent a lot. Okay. In in April 1793, um, a general, uh, de Maurier, uh, attempted a coup d'etat against the government, um, but St. George and Dumas refused to join and defended the city of Lille from the, the coup supporters. Um, so, so they did firmly believe in, in sort of the ideals of the revolution, and, and they helped mm-hmm. stop this. Um, but eventually, in the summer of that year, um, St. George is accused of misusing government funds, um, and the Legion is disbanded. 
and, and largely this is true. Um, it, it seems that St. George was like running a sort of scam. Um, he tried to involve uh, Dumas in it as sort of like a patsy, um, but but Dumas was able to, to rightfully prove, you know, they had no part in it. Yeah. Um, and on July 30th, 1793, Dumas is promoted to the rank of Brigadier General in the Army of the North. And then one month later, he's promoted again to the General of Division. So he's a general now. And, and in September of 1793, Dumas made commander-in-chief of the Army of the Western Pyrenees. Oh, shit. Um, so his, his assignment's pretty brief. Um, he's assigned from September to December of 1793. Um, and the headquarters were in uh, Bayonne, France. And apparently, the, the local uh, sans-culottes, who are like the, the very extreme... Um, sort of supporters of the French Revolution. It means, like, those without britches. Because, like, a culotte is, like, a pants that, like... Yeah. You know, like, when you, when you yeah, look I'm at, sorry, like... did you say those without britches? Yeah. Yeah, britches. Like, because, like, the shit my grandmother used to call underwear. Because you, know, <laughs> you know how... You know, like, George Washington and, like, Thomas yeah. Jefferson, you see them wearing those, like, those, like, fancy pants oh, that sort yeah. of, like, button yeah, yeah, off yeah. at the, the ankle. That, that, that Well, that would be a culotte. <laughs> And, okay. and so, but they would call him uh, Monsieur de la Humanité or Mister Humanity to sort of mock him. And, and these, the the sans culottes are, are like very much like the extremists. They're, they're kind of the uh, what what people think Bernie Bros are. Yeah. Like they 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 wanted to sort of intimidate him um, to sort of join them um, because uh, French generals at that time, like they would often be accused of treason and then they would be executed. Damn. On December 22nd of 1793, um, Dumas given command of the Army of the Alps. Um, and this, this sort of campaign, he was sent to defeat the Austrians and the troops of uh, Piedmont, which is sort of this area in, in sort of northern Italy. Um, yeah, the Piedmontese. It's so interesting. And So here's my question. If he was leading the, the guys in the Alps, did he get to put the feather in his hat? Do you know what I'm talking about? The Italian army thing, where if you hike the entire length of the Alps, you put a, a certain color feather in your hat well, to, cl- he, to, to, to to note that you've done that? He probably he probably deserves that and then some, because he, he's sort of defending this this glacier-covered pass of Little St. Bernard Pass and, and Mont-Senis um, on the French border. And so after months of planning and reconnaissance from his base, um, he waited for the conditions to be favorable due to the winter, and in, and in April and May of 1794, he launches several assaults. Um, in the final attack, uh, that they, they, he sort of takes out these um, these Austrian and Piedmontese troops. They, they equip ice crampons, so those sort of like spiked things you put on your shoes like, for climbing. Yeah, like the boots, the spiked boots. Yeah. Yeah, and they they climb they climb the ice cliffs of the mountain. And so they, they pull ca- the Sylvester Stallone cliffhanger. Yeah, and he captures between <laughs> 900 and, and 1,700 prisoners. Shut the fuck up! What? So he literally climbs, like, a glacier and, like, takes all these, like, soldiers because they weren't able to defend from that position because they yeah. obviously thought, you know, no one's going to come up, like, the the wall from the from Game of Thrones. <laughs> that's fucking awesome, though. Like, that's crazy awesome. Um, and... And even though he's like winning praise from political leaders in Paris, 
Um, he'd be called before the, the Committee of Public Safety in, in June of 1794. Um, but but he, no one, no reason is really stressed. But it was probably for treason, which is usually what the Committee of Public Safety did. They were the main body that sent people to the guillotine. Yeah. Um, and and this was sort of at the tail end of the Great Terror. So what he does is he he comes up with an excuse of why he can't come to Paris until mid-July. Like, he says he has to deal with some things with the army, and then when he's done with that, he'll come to Paris. And when he does get to Paris in mid-July, um, the, the committee is already pretty much done, because Robespierre, the head of the committee, is executed on July 27, 1794, along I was with say, most I of his, like, name. Most of his, most of his like, compatriots are also guillotined with him, as sort of the public turns against the abuses of power by the Committee of Public Safety. Yeah, the committee... I remember. You you want to look up some fucked up shit, look up the Committee of Public Safety. Yeah, anytime you look at history and there's a body in a government that's referred to as something relating to public safety, they're probably bad. Because, like, if, if you look at, like, the U.S., like, the U.S. South during, like, desegregation, all of, like, the segregationist groups formed by the governments there, they're always referred to as, like, such and such, the Commissioner of Public Safety or the Committee on Public Safety. Like, anytime public safety is in the title of an organization, it's probably bad. But didn't, and so, and I may be wrong, didn't they, or wasn't the committee... Um, for public safety around during the reign of terror in France? Well, yes, this is the, the Great Terror is the reign of terror. Okay, um, so, so again... It's the same thing, you, same thing. You, yeah. You, pro- you, you, you flourish in the reign of terror. I feel like that alone should be enough to be like, nah. Yeah. Because we, we, we could talk about it, but, like, Dubois is away from all of it, and he's lucky enough that when he does get to Paris, like, he shows up, like, right when they're finishing up. Like Pumps he gets there and he's just like, that late. "The fuck happened?" <laughs> um, and, and sort of when he gets back, nobody really knows what to do with him. Um, so in early August of 1794, um, he's assigned for about two weeks um, to command the school of the the Ecole de Mars Military School, which is the school of Mars um, at Neuilly uh, sur Seine uh, near Paris. And then after that, he's assigned to command uh, the Army of the West from August to October of 1794. And it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's a demotion for him to be sent here, but most of the people who commanded the Army of the West during this period end up like washing out or or dying because the Army of the West is mainly focused with sort of fighting an anti-counter-revolutionary insurgency that's in Western France. So they're fighting a civil war. Um, nobody really knows what to do. The past commanders have sort of been very heavy-handed in how they dealt with it, you know, just killing a lot of people and, and destroying livestock and confiscating livestock. Um, and what, what he take does... take your fucking sheep! It, <laughs> and, and what he does is he sort of increases uh, discipline... And he sort of eliminates soldiers' abuses. Like, there was an instance where he found that soldiers had been stealing cattle from a farmer, and he makes the soldiers return all the cattle. Like, stuff like that. I'm glad that he is not morally bankrupt. Dumas? And, yeah. And and one of the things about him is, too, is that it's pointed out in, like, the Black Count that Dumas seems to become even more, like, 
caring, I guess you could say, like like sort of more more concerned with sort of uh, soldiers' behaviors and sort of how they behave and, and honor and things like that after serving this position. So like his predecessors who are like morally destroyed by fighting this counterinsurgency, um, he goes the opposite direction. Um, from there, in September of 1795, um, he serves under General Jean-Baptiste uh, Colbert in the Army of the Rhine. So he serves under him, but he's a member of the generalship, right? Yeah, there, there are generals that are higher than other generals. So there's just like one star, two star kind of thing. Yeah, te- technically in France at this time, all generals are supposed to be equal, but there are generals. So are all people. <laughs> um, and this is sort of France's attack into Germany, and he participates in the French attack on Dusseldorf, where he's wounded. After after recuperating, um, he returns to battle, um, and he joins the army of Italy in Milan. Um, and then he serves under the orders of a man who will one day become his sort of enemy, the commander-in-chief Napoleon Bonaparte. Oh, shit, Mr. 411 himself. Uh, um, so, Steve, actually, clarify this. I heard that Napoleon was not actually a short dude. He was just, sh- he was average for the time, short for for our our standards. Is that true? I believe he was five foot six. Ah, I love fucking manlet. <laughs> no, he was he was five foot seven. He was not fucking He manlet. really wasn't that short though for the time period. He really wasn't. That's what I thought. I thought he was yeah, average for the he, time period short well, for us, and that's why we make fun of him. Well one of the things is that Napoleon was very much like he was very obsessed with his own image. Yeah. So if you called him short even though he wasn't short it would bother yeah. him. Ah and, fucking manlet. And and the and the British would use this propaganda because the French under Napoleon had adopted the metric system. Yeah. And and he went from being like a like a standard like foot, as we would understand it, to being under the metric system. So he went from being like five foot seven to like two whatever meters, what whatever it is. I think it's less than two meters. Um, <laughs> and so and so they would use that to say he was short. Yeah, I, I always heard that it was like, yeah, he was short, but he wasn't like nah. short by their metric. Na- Napoleon has a huge ego. Yeah, Napoleon so is ego. Short. <laughs> like he's there's like there's a statue of Napoleon that he had commissioned where he is Hercules, and it's like Napoleon's head on top of like this ultra muscular body with like the lion pelt and everything over him. It's like, bitch, like, you don't look like dude. that. We've seen like, the paintings. You like don't look that, like that. That was, that was how Napoleon wanted to be. Wait till like, you hear you... what Napoleon... I mean, ugh. He is so, just a fucking awful th- person. Just awful. He's a so, egotistical fuck. It gets much worse. So ten- tensions between them had, had begun because um, Napoleon had requested... Um, had, well, first, Napoleon had um, allowed French troops to sort of indiscriminately... Um, just steal from the local population. Like they could what? just take, they could just take whatever they wanted. Um, he promised them, sort of like they they could take whatever they keep, as sort of a system of payment because they had sort of been underpaid. And he did this as well to sort of build up loyalty to him. And, and Dumas had come against this. Um, Dumas had <laughs> Dumas in in December of 1796 was put in charge of a division besieging. Austrian troops of the fortress city of, of Mantua in the Alps. Um, it, by Christmas, he had intercepted a spy who was carrying a message 
to the Austrian commander that was detailing sort of the troops that were coming to relieve them. Um, Dumas had sort of captured this man and he had forced him to take um, a, a, a purgative, a, a, a sort of item that would cause him to, um, to, to sort of like essentially a laxative um, so that he would shit out the message that he ate. Because <laughs> the guy claimed he didn't have it, and he remembered an anecdote from um, from Julius Caesar that uh, of sort of a story of a of an officer keeping um, <coughs> secret plans um, that they had swallowed them if captured. Uh huh. And so he he sort of tricked him into sort of admitting that he had them, and then he forced him to to sort of like go to the bathroom all night until they came out. Wow. That's awesome. And and so on, on January 16th of 1797, um, they halted this Austrian attempt to break out of the besieged city, and they prevented the reinforcements from reaching Mantua. And because of this, um, they, they were able to maintain the siege until French reinforcements arrived, and the city surrendered on February 2nd of 1797. French. Or from, sorry, France. A long history of surrendering. Um, so at, at this point, France actually has the strongest military in in Europe at this time. They have the strongest army. Arguably in the world at this time. Okay. Um, oh, wait, so they have the strongest army. England has the strongest navy, right? Yeah. Because Her Majesty's Navy was like the strongest navy, yes. right? Wow, too bad they couldn't be friends. They could have dominated everything if they were friends. Um, and sort of the description that's sent to by um, Napoleon's uh, aide-de-camp, sort of his um, general that's directly under him, uh, General uh, Berthier, um, he he sort of um, he sort of describes the battle um, uh, very poorly, um, and. In response, Dumas sends this sort of letter to Berthier cursing him, um, or, or sends this letter to Napoleon cursing Berthier. And because of that, um, Dumas was subsequently omitted from mention in Napoleon's battle reports to the Directory, which at that time is the government of France. Um, and then he was given a command well beneath his rank, um, leading sort of a scout division under General uh, Massena. Um, despite petitions from Dumas's troops that they should that they should still be under him. Okay. Um, under under General uh, Massenet, um, on February 1797, Dumas helped the troops sort of push the Austrians northward, um, capturing thousands of them. Um, it's during this period that the Austrian troops begin calling him uh, Der Schwarztufel, or the Black Devil. It, in late February 1797, devil, uh, Dumas transferred to a division commanded by uh, General Jobert, who specifically requested Dumas out of um, admiration for his republicanism. Um, so Dumas is like very well known during this period because he's like a true believer in the republican cause. Um, some of the generals are sort of cynical about it, or they have other designs like Napoleon, but he's like a true believer in the French Republic. Okay. Um, under Jobert, um, Dumas led a small force uh, that defeated several enemy positions along the Adagay River, um, and his crowning achievement was on March 23rd, um, he single-handedly drove back an entire squadron of Austrian troops um, over the Isaac River in Quassen 
um, which is uh, Chiusa, Italy today. Um, By himself. So there's a sort of like, yes. So there's like a a footbridge, and these troops are like trying to go over it. There's a number of pictures of this because it was like a newspaper thing. Um, He single-handedly just like fights them all off with a saber. By himself. Yeah. Verified. Um, And in this feat, uh, largely. And and because of this feat, he's referred to as uh, the Horatius Cacocles of the Tyrol. And and Horatius uh, Cacocles was a hero from ancient Rome, okay. um, who's who's sort of credited as being like this like lone warrior who helped save the Republic. Um, and and Napoleon will call Dumas by this nickname, and rewarded him by making him a cavalry commander of all French troops in the Tyrol. Um, and then he also sent Dumas a pair of pistols as sort of a, a thank you. Damn. Okay. Um, and and after this, he spends much of 1797 as a military governor administering the province of Treviso, uh, north of Venice. So, real quick, is this what would be considered, like, the French Foreign Legion? Because I've never okay. It would so, not. Uh, spoiler no. alert! I have no, no idea what the French Foreign Legion is. It's it's completely different thing. The, so the French, it, it had. Go ahead. The the French Foreign Legion is sort of foreigners who come and join the French military to fight. And you cannot be a French citizen and be in the French Foreign Legion. And then you, once you're in the French Foreign Legion, if you serve for five years, you get French citizenship. And really. And they yeah. don't ask questions, which and is they, like a lot of them anybody are like prisoners, can be a member. former yeah. criminals. You could be a Wait, criminal. So... Anybody can be a member of the French Foreign Legion. They they serve the Legion, like they serve to the Legion. That all is their this legions still a thing? Do. Like to this yeah. day? Yes. And they yep. don't ask questions. Yeah, they usually have fake names. <laughs> all right, all right. Let me make a note of that real quick. You do right. not want to join. <laughs> The yeah. French Foreign Legion. It might be one of the worst decisions you can make. It's for like people who are just a lot of like ex-military guys that just can't get out of the of that mindset. Join it. People who are like abject criminals that have no other choice. Like it's uh, it's not something that you should it's, consider. It's like a lot you... of like suicide missions and stuff. It's like they're they're treated very poorly, and like they're they're given all the shit jobs. Oh, okay. They are an elite. They are an elite force, and you yeah. do you do have to like you have to learn French. Uh, you have to like you know it, it's it's really really crazy, and it's very militarist militaristic. Like take the worst militaristic uh, force you can think of, and like multiply it, and then make it in France. <laughs> that, yeah. the, the so they French surrender everywhere. Legion, okay. Yeah. The French Foreign Legion <laughs> didn't really come about until the 19th century. Oh, okay. All right. Um. And in March 1798, um, Dumas is ordered to report to Toulon, France, after um, after sort of like going home and visiting with his family. And this is for an unspecified assignment. Um, and when he revo- arrives in Toulon, um, he joined an enormous French armada that was massing there in preparation for a departure to a secret destination. Like, no one knows where they're going. Um, okay. And eventually, when they depart on May 10, 1798... Um, with the destination still unannounced, it is only on June 23rd, um, after they had conquered the island of Malta, um, that Napoleon tells them that their that their purpose is to conquer Egypt. They went on to conquer the island of Goya after Malta, <laughs> <laughs> and known then for bean. large supplies of beverage. 
Um, and, and aboard the ship, um, the Guillaume Tell, in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, um, Dumas learns that he has been appointed commander of all cavalry in the Army of the Orient, as it's called. Um, the army arrives in the port of Alexandria um, at the end of June, and on July 3rd, Dumas leads the 4th Light Grenadiers um, over the walls as the French conquer the city. Um, after fighting, um, Dumas or Napoleon sends Dumas to, to sort of pay ransom for some French soldiers who have been captured by Bedouins. Um, Dumas gets sent for these types of jobs um, because Napoleon believes, because of his dark skin, that the locals will accept him more than the the white European troops. Um, he ransoms the men. Um, one of the anecdotes is that the men had been all raped by the Bedouins. Um, so it, it, it's not a good time for the French in, in Egypt. It, it, it ends up being, as, as you'll see, uh, like a huge disaster. It, what, what begins to happen during this period as well, to sort of add to the gulf between Napoleon and Dumas, is that the chief medical officer um, recounts in his memoir that the local Egyptians um, came to believe that Dumas was actually the, the commander of the force because of his height and sort of his build. Okay. Like they look at they look at the Chad Dumas and then the Virgin <laughs> Napoleon and and the and the medical the medical officer said quote unquote him ride his horse over the trenches going to ransom the prisoners all of them believed that he was the leader of the expedition after seeing him do that. Really? Okay. Um, from July seventh to the twenty first. Uh, Dumas commanded the invading army's cavalry as it marched south from Alexandria to Cairo, which was then the capital. Um, conditions of heat and thirst, fatigue, and lack of supplies for the troops are so harsh um, that there are a number of suicides. Uh, God the, damn. The men find it like so unbearable that they just kill themselves. Egypt um, sucks. That's all there, I'm hearing. There, there are cases <laughs> yeah. where like, yeah, officers... No, it's not fun. Egypt officers, is so bad you'll kill yourself rather than just serving in the army in Egypt. There were there were officers who like they would just survey the situation. They would just get off, get on their horse, ride off into the middle of the desert, and then just kill themselves. God damn. Um, when when camped at, at Damanhur, um, General Dumas would meet with several other generals, uh, Lan, uh, Desax, and, and Marat, and and during this time, while they're sort of just hanging out eating watermelons. Um, they vent their criticism of Napoleon's leadership, and they discuss the possibility of refusing to march beyond Cairo. Because the expedition what? is going so bad, um, they're just sort of sitting around, and they just begin, like, shit-talking the expedition. And rightfully so. You know, people people are killing themselves, they're running out of supplies. Um, it's not a good situation. Wow. Okay. Um, so, Dumas participates in what's referred to as the Battle of the Pyramids. Um, and and after this battle, he sort of chases down uh, Mamluk horsemen. It, it sort of defeats them. And this begins the occupation of Cairo. It's often called the Battle of the Pyramids, and it's depicted in sort of Napoleonic artwork as being, like, in the shadow of the pyramids. But it took way, it took place a good distance away from the pyramids. Okay. No, Napoleon just wanted to build that up to sort of build up his own legend. 
I've also heard that if you're at the pyramids and you make like a 180, or if you look 180 degrees from looking at the pyramids, you're looking at a McDonald's and a Pizza Hut. That's what I've heard. I've heard from people that have uh, been yeah. there that said like yeah. within a couple blocks. Even in, even in 1790, it was... <laughs> there was a <laughs> I believe it was a Roy Rogers then. They've, they've gone out of business. Uh, you, can, you, can get your, you can get your Roy out with round. cheese. Yeah, it was a ground round, exactly. Laurel and Hardy. Roy Al with cheese. You you could get free popcorn with Laurel and Hardy. uh, And you could get get beer. Honest to God, beer. Honest to God, beer. Not even French beer. (laughs) They might even put a little whiskey in the milkshake. Yep. Some Gus and Brew. Um, So, when the occupation is going on in Cairo, um, Napoleon learns about the mutinous talk. And he sort of confronts Dumas about it. Um, and then uh, sort of Napoleon recounts in his memoirs that he, he, th- he threatened to shoot Dumas for sedition, um, but he didn't. Um, and Dumas requested to leave uh, for France, and Napoleon didn't oppose it. Um, Napoleon apparently recounted, I can easily replace him with a brigadier. Me- meaning any other general. What an idiot. Um, but, but what ends up what ends up happening is is that when they had left France, the British, because the French had sort of started these rumors that the French Armada was going to invade Britain, that the English Navy was around Great Britain, and that, that way France was able to sort of, um, sort of juke them and go to Egypt. Mm-hmm. But w- what eventually happens is, is that the French, or the British catch wind that Napoleon has reached um, has reached Egypt because they didn't think he would go to Egypt because he invaded Egypt during the summer and and they assumed that he was um, that, that that wouldn't work because at that time you know their uniforms are made out of wool and it just seems like a really dumb thing to do because that, that's another thing to note about all these soldiers like they're decked out head to toe in like wool really in the middle of a desert. <laughs> I mean, the desert can get cold as well, shit. Well, you know, but... what happened was Costanza thought they would be more comfortable out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but what happens is is that Admiral Nelson finds <clears throat> the Horatio Trump- Hornblower <laughs> the same, the very same. Yes, um, the very he, same. He finds out that because he he hangs around Italy a lot because his mistress. Is is the wife of a local like commander in Italy, um, so he hangs out in Italy a lot, <laughs> and then he goes. He's he he is able to walk upon the French fleet while it's still. So you're um, saying he hangs out in Italy, but you mean is he hangs dong in Italy? Yeah. Okay. So he he sort of catches wind that they're down in in Egypt. He goes down there. He finds the Armada um, sort of in repair in the harbor. Um, the Battle of the Nile happens, which is what this was referred to as, and he just decimates the French fleet. So with the French fleet decimated, um, they're not able to leave Egypt. Really? So, so they, all sp- they all end up spending more time there, which is one of the reasons why we have things like Egyptology. So they have a big sleepover. Yeah. <laughs> um, for instance, Egyptology comes out of this period because they bring along all of these sort of scientists and, and sort of other scholars with them, and they begin studying like Egypt, and this sort of gives birth to the science of Egyptology. 
Um, they also give birth to ophthalmology um, because a lot of the French troops are stricken with this sort of eye disease. And this is eye like disease the, meaning what? It's it's making them all go blind. <gasps> Holy shit! How are you just gonna just glaze the fuck over that? <laughs> They're not. It's. <laughs> It's it's not like the expanse. It's not like well, everyone's going blind. He was gonna glaze over it because he couldn't see it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got the glaucoma. <laughs> Sorry, I, my vision's gone to shit. I've been at Sorry, I was just kind of gonna glaze over that shit because my glaucoma's hit me hard today. I like how we uh, when we do an impression of Steve, we make him sound like a uh, man who's recruiting flappers for a show <laughs> in the nineteen twenties. <laughs> Hey like, boys, I got more to say about Dumas. <laughs> now, now you girls can dance to Charleston, right? We need Everything all the new. I, every time I we need all the new dances him. here. Yeah, we don't have any band or anything, so here I'm gonna sing it. Ready? One, two, da 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 da. <laughs> now, I ch- now, I now you kids remember like... we want some hep music here, but no, but no race music. If you get no my that's, it, race that's music. it right there. I channel my inner radio DJ. Oh yeah, see, he's a he's a yeah. he's not racist at all. It's like that meatloaf. boy right there. He's pure pure Baltic Avenue. He's pure Baltic Avenue, but oh goddamn it, if he can't dance to Charleston, like nobody's business. <laughs> Look um, at his his knees never touch. And so what 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 had happened with Napoleon was that when he was in Italy, he began to sort of reorganize things and sort of implement um, sort of French style reforms. He had destroyed the Jewish ghettos in Italy, um, sort of liberating the Jews within Italy. Um, And he had sort of done all these projects. um, But a lot of this was done sort of to benefit himself. Like when he establishes these governments and these rulers, and and as well with his own men, he's sort of doing it in a way that ingratiates them to him. Like Napoleon will do a lot of good things. While he's the while he's the leader of France during this period, but he does a lot of terrible things, and this is largely because he's only doing things for the benefit of himself. Because Napoleon is an egotistical asshole. Yeah, it's it's like Nixon. You know, Nixon did a lot of good things, like he created the EPA and all these other things, but he was just a complete terrible person. And all the people around him <clears throat> yes. were terrible people. Like you, um, you start and, out in two, two thousand sixteen. Well, let's let's not take the analogy too far. But Napoleon Napoleon will only really do things for himself, despite right. their good. And he's trying to do the same in in Egypt, but it's sort of failing. Um, mm-hmm. At one point, he tries to get um, them to declare the the French the the leader of the people of Egypt, and the local sort of imams tell him that they will agree to this if he converts and the French army converts to Islam. Mm-hmm. But he ends up refusing this because if they converted to Islam, um, they wouldn't be allowed to drink wine and all of them would have to get circumcisions. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, because in order to convert to Islam, and the same is true for Judaism, even if you're an adult and, like, for instance, today, if you're already circumcised, you uh-huh. still have to get circumcised when you convert. I'm glad my parents love me enough to circumcise me at birth so well, I can't well, remember well, no. that kind of pain. Holy shit. Well, if you, even, even if you were to join either of these religions, you'd still have to get circumcised. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm glad my parents circumcised yeah. me when I was a child and I don't no, remember the pain. No, but what I'm saying is even if you've been circumcised, they still have to cut you again. No, fuck that. 
Yeah. So you got to take it out. <laughs> I take your thing here. I put it in the thing here and no. nip the tip. <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. I've been I've been nipped. <laughs> I, my tip has been nipped. In the, I just try I, to work the uh, <laughs> sound effect into the podcast at least once a my, episode. My haircut does not need a trim. There, <laughs> my there haircut also, has not grown back. There, there's also a lot of things about like miscommunication um, because what happens is is that Napoleon before he had come here. He had conquered the Vatican, and when they had conquered the Vatican, they had taken, they had an Arabic printing press, and he had taken it, and the people they had brought to sort of write these decrees he would make in Arabic, they were from Malta, and they spoke Maltese Arabic. Um, A lot of people don't know this, but the Maltese language is actually like an older form of Arabic. It doesn't use um, an Arabic script. How dare you? But it it uses a, a Roman script. (laughs) <laughs> um, so, the the translations that they they give for him are are, are like somewhat off. Like mm. for instance, in one of the decrees, he says that they are the the true friends of Muslims, but it gets translated as true Muslims. So, like the people get mad at him claiming he's a true Muslim when they're not Muslims. So, so just stuff really? like that. Really. Um. So it it's generally like a like a real shit show. Like we could do a whole episode on. The Maltese. Napoleon's adventures in Egypt. Jesus. Oh yeah, Napoleon is. Yeah, you could do multiple episodes on that piece of shit. Yeah, you. Yeah, you but, could do but episodes especially on, on Egypt. Egypt, Egypt Napoleon is a complete and France. Show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, just to show an idea of the character of Dubois, in in August of 1798, um, beneath um, beneath a house that he was staying in while it was getting renovations done. Um, he finds a cache of um, gold and jewels under the house, and he turns them over to Napoleon and the army instead of keeping them. Because mm-hmm. a lot of what would happen is that when they fought the Mamelukes, the the soldiers would just like take time to just sort of loot the corpses, because the Mamelukes always carried a lot of gold, because they were sort of like aristocratic soldiers who just like walked around like decked out in like gold chains and all sorts of other like fancy things. Yeah. In in October, also there there's sort of like an uprising against the French in Cairo, and during this uprising, uh, Dumas will be instrumental in help putting it down by charging on horseback into the Al the Al Azhar uh, Mosque in Cairo, which is where the um, which is where sort of the revolters that hold up. Um, afterwards, um, it, it's sort of like an a, a account that was told to his son by um, Dumas' aide-de-camp, Dermancourt, Um, Napoleon told him, you know, I shall have a painting made of of the taking of the Grand Mosque. Dumas, you have already posed as the central figure, Um, but when the painting is actually made, the first one, uh, Giraudet, the the painter, he, the the one that Napoleon commissions it from 11 years later, it shows a white man charging into the mosque, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed white man. Yo, that's fucked up because you know and, he is not blonde hair, blue eye. And even and even other other accounts of the mosque in, in picture, one of them has Napoleon charging into the mosque. Holy shit! Yep. Wow. Um, okay. But, but eventually, when when conditions are are a bit improved, on March seventh of seventeen ninety nine, um, Dumas boards a small ship called the Belle Malte or Belle Maltese. In the company of General Jean Baptiste uh, Manscourt de Rosoy, um, 
the geologist uh, Dio de uh, Gretat de Dolomieu, uh, 40 wounded French soldiers, and a bunch of Maltese and Genoan civilians. Um, and before this trip, um, Dumas had sold like all of his furnishings from his uh, quarters in Cairo, and he had purchased with the money 4,000 pounds of mocha coffee and 11 Arabian horses. Um, so he spent all his money on coffee and horses. The reason why he buys the horses was he bought two stallions and nine mares, and this was to establish a breeding stock in France. So he, he wants to like breed these horses and sell them. But again, that's what he decides to spend his money on? Well, yeah, he's it's stuff like he can't take his furniture. Like he's not going to take like his furniture back with him. But I'm going to take these fucking horses. Okay, fair, fair. Well, yeah, fair. it's an investment. Like <sighs> the coffee, he's not he's not taking the four thousand four thousand pounds of coffee, you know, for his own like private stock. I mean, I figured that, but I, I also figured you could take some of the horses, get the money, like... and do better with the money <clears throat> than bringing the stupid. Well, you got to think about you. it. I mean, they pay for everything in sugar, so you know when they. <laughs> You know, it's, and two thousand horses—that's like a billion pounds of sugar. I mean, that's a billion trillion. Well, it costs a lot to move that kind of money around. I mean, well, it's like it's like Homer with the sugar pile. You know, yeah. First, first you get the money, or first you in get America. The sugar, then you first get the money. you get the money, then you get the sugar, then you get the power, then you get the women. <laughs> The, the sugar was first, but yes. Oh uh, well, so I'm saying you gotta buy sugar. Well, instead of instead ah. of Dumas sitting on a pile of sugar with a baseball bat, he's got a uh, he's got these horses. He's got a long term investment. Um, while on their way back to France, the ship, which was like in terrible condition when they left, began to sink. Um, and Dumas had to jettison a lot of his cargo, including the horses. Um, throughout the trip in order for them to make it to shore. Um, what had happened was the ship was in bad condition and before it had left um, Dumas had paid the captain to get repairs done but the, the captain just pocketed the money instead of getting repairs done and Dumas also recounted that like the second they went out to sea it already started leaking. Hmm. And the, the captain, though, he blames Dumas for what happened because he claims that Dumas had cut out, like, a section of the scaffolding in the ship so that the horses would fit. What? Yeah, it sounds like complete, like, bullshit yeah, for horseshit. this guy to cover. Um, ah, it's only so, so the ship is forced to land um, during storms um, at, at Toronto in the Kingdom of Naples. At that time... Um, they they believed that they would that they would get a friendly reception because a republic had briefly popped up there called uh, the Parthenopean Republic. Um, the king the king and queen of Naples had sort of ruled the area. The king of Naples was um, was was sort of an Austrian transplant, and his wife was actually the sister of Marie Antoinette. Uh, mm-hmm. But they they had sort of been kicked out by this republic, and. What, what had happened was that the sort of army that was loyal to, to sort of the nobility had, had sort of taken over and was in control of the area. And they were called the Holy Faith Army, and they were led by Cardinal Fabrizio Ruffio. And, and they, were, they were sort of in alliance with King Ferdinand, um, but the cardinal was running the show, and they were at yeah. war with France. 
so the second they arrive um they're they're somewhat confused and the 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 neapolitans are um would that be people from naples neapolitans yeah Uh, neapolitans well, in yeah. Jersey, we say Napolitan, but, you know, I don't <laughs> think that's what they said. Yeah, well, in Jersey, uh, trying to church it the fuck up all the time. It's Neapolitans. Uh, uh, Manage la man. They're a little bit chocolate. They're a little bit strawberry. You know, they're a little know, bit back, vanilla. Back in the old country. <laughs> back in the old country in New Jersey. <laughs> um, so the, the army tells them they have to be quarantined. And by the time they get to this position, like like when they're being quarantined, they sort of realize their mistake. You know that this is that this is not that they're being taken prisoner. Um, so Dumas and the rest of the passengers are are sort of held prisoner, and all of their belongings are confiscated. Um, and Dumas and the other officers actually have to pay in order to be like taken care of properly. Um, the the guards are always extorting them for money and making them pay for all of their their food and everything. Um, early on in the captivity, um, the the cardinal tries to trade Dumas um, for this Corsican adventurer um, named uh, Bocicampe, and, and Bocicampe was sort of this like con artist who would pose as the the prince of Naples, Prince Francis, um, and, and he would do this to aid the the Holy Faith movement and also for just his like own personal gain, uh, but. Uh, Ferdinand actually liked him because he had been instrumental in retaking uh, a province from the French. Um, but what had happened was uh, Bochacampe had been, that they thought he had been captured by the French, but what had happened was that Bochacampe had been killed by the French. And when they found out he had been killed, they, they sort of didn't want to trade anymore. Um, and for much of this period, um, Dumas is, is sort of... Uh, is kept prisoner. Um, he's malnourished and he's not allowed to communicate with anyone for about two years. Um, a lot of the treatment in like the Count of Monte Cristo, um, you know, when Dantes is in prison, um, that's a lot like what his experience was in, in sort of being kept by these people in Naples. Yeah. Remember that's a good point to make now, I guess, is that, uh, Alexandre Dumas, his, the Count of Monte Cristo is, largely based on his father which is I yeah. love Monte Cristo sandwiches <laughs> have you ever read have you ever read The Count of Monte Cristo I have not read it have no. you seen the movie I have seen the movie I have not read the book so the the main character is essentially the person we're talking about essentially yeah yeah yeah. yeah like yeah. the shit that goes on in the book it, a lot of that shit there's parallels to it in real life I'm going to tell you like this. I had a Monte Cristo sandwich in Deerfield Beach. <laughs> it, was probably, it was probably the most amazing sandwich I had ever had in my life. A deep fried fucking sandwich? Get this, shut the fuck up. A deep fried sandwich with jelly? Stop. Yeah. Have you ever been to the Strawberry Festival in Plant City? I have not. You should definitely go there if you like fried shit. They fry everything. When is the Strawberry Festival, do you know? Uh, I think it's actually coming up in April, I think. Done. Well, Done. well, well Steve, you, you, said, you said it was at a festival, so it's a given that something will be fried there. <laughs> yeah, but they, <laughs> yeah, but they go this overboard. I mean, there's fried fried. <laughs> like, they have, like, fried balls of fried fried. You know? <laughs> fried strawberries. Yeah, and they have uh, Reba McIntyre. They have... They have hush puppies. Hold the hold the puppy. Just the hush. Oh my god! Yeah. I, just, I, I, just I had a fried. <laughs> I had a double. Actually, it's going on right now. I had a uh, double cheeseburger, a fried double cheeseburger, 
um, that instead of bread, it had fried Krispy Kreme glazed donuts on the outside of it. Like the new KFC chicken sandwich? It's no, it, it makes K- two strawberry donuts. No, like to use Catholic terminology, it makes KFC look like a venial sin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's definitely a mortal sin, and it's delicious. But you leave with fresh strawberries, so you don't feel as bad about it. Okay. But, but back to sort of um, the... <laughs> <laughs> a, a, lot of Al- a lot of Alexander Dumas' like, <laughs> characters and his stories draw upon his family, largely his father. Um, for instance, Monte Cristo is an island that's attributed to where one of his uncles would sort of illegally sell goods on the black market. Was this Monte Cristo Island? Um, so that's where he gets the, the name, the Count of Monte Cristo, from. Um, yeah. A lot of the behavior, like sort of the antics of like the Three Musketeers, are based on his father, because um, his father allegedly did three duels in one day, like in one afternoon, which is like unheard of. Stuff like that's, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- that's crazy. <clears throat> but um, he was that he was that good at one point. He was like apparently like largely considered uh, uh, almost like uh, unstoppable. Like nobody's going to beat him in a duel, essentially. Uh, well, well, Dumas uh, held prisoner. Um, he becomes like partially paralyzed and almost blind in one eye, um, and then he he also became deaf in one ear, but he recovers. Um, but but he current but he always has sort of pains from his time in in um, in confinement. Um, he also believed that he had been poisoned during this time, that the doctor had been um, poisoning him. By putting um, by putting a powder in his snuff box that was highly uh, corrosive. I'm sorry. Um, so they were giving him snuff, though. Yeah, just just sort of like because he could buy it. Like he would give them the money and they would buy it for him. Okay. Like he could he could get books and stuff, but he would have to buy it. Okay. Okay. Um, and he he came to believe that the doctor was poisoning him, and, and he sort of confronted the doctor at times about sort of like the things the doctor was like asking him or telling him. Um, but the doctor would would eventually die uh, of being poisoned, so he assumed correctly, you know, that the doctor was poisoning him. Because for the doctor to die of poison, he was most likely, you know, handling poison. Yeah. And and, and also during his imprisonment, um, he was aided by a secret local uh, pro-French group that brought him medicine and a book of remedies. Um, so. So there is sort of these these people like locals that will help him, but he can't really like get out. He's not really allowed out into the yard. Um, and even if he did, like uh, a lot of times early on, his cell isn't even locked, and it's because escape is so impossible they don't even bother. Um, because his cell, his only window looks out into a courtyard which is full of guards. And yeah, so it's like, yo, check this out, bro. You're in prison. We're not even gonna lock your fucking door because we know your bitch ass isn't getting out. Have fun. Like that's gotta be so demoralizing. Yep. We're not even locking your door because you, we we know you can't get out. That, that's well, I hilarious. think the paralysis might have been demoralizing. Yeah, I mean the paralysis. <laughs> yeah, but also not locking your door in prison. That's yeah, just that's a pretty slap fucked in the face. Yeah, that's ballsy shit um, right there. In in November of seventeen ninety nine. Um, Napoleon returns to Paris and he seizes power soon afterwards. Um, there, there's sort of a pro-royalist coup against the directory um, and Napoleon violently puts it down. Um, since uh, Napoleon is an artillery man, 
Um, he positions the artillery outside of the directory, and when the sort of like the pro-royalist mobs are attacking the directory, um, he has them load the cannons with grape shot, um, which grape shot is sort of like it's smaller. Like no, yeah, it's yeah, like, have you ever had grape nuts? The cereal, it's it's literally that. So it's just shooting grape nuts at people. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody liked it then either, so they didn't have anywhere else to use it. Fuck it, just shoot it at people who don't like it. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, when you get hit with, like, bullets, you die. But if you get hit with grape nuts, dude, you can't stop complaining for, like, several days. <laughs> That's the rest of your life. Are you I mean, it's a really effective with, form listen, of ammunition. If you're a person who gets hit with grape nuts, yeah, yeah you, you complain the rest your life you stand pretty still because you just can't stop bitching <laughs> but great grape shot turns a cannon into like a giant shotgun grape nuts nah, <laughs> essentially and, yeah it turns it into like a, a a huge shotgun right and and it oh, just the, the artillery just decimates these mobs so napoleon is considered a hero to the directory um mm-hmm. and, and then with sort of the um, the body of 500, sort of the the legislature of France at this time, Napoleon's brother becomes the president of this body. Nice. And, and Napoleon's brother um, and Napoleon sort of come up with a coup, and they and, and he has his brother sort of distribute these notices to members of the 500 that they need to relocate to this palace outside France or outside Paris because there's a, a like a, a coup afoot and, and they're not safe in Paris. Yeah, his brother Bruno Bonaparte. <laughs> and they all they all relocate and then um, they they essentially hold them all at gunpoint and get them to make Napoleon um, the first consul. Um, technically there are, there are two other consuls under him, but um, he, he is pretty much the dictator of France at this point. So France was actually a dictatorship for a while then. Yes, yeah, so Napoleon is first consul, and then he becomes emperor later on. Okay. Um, so Napoleon's forces um, under under Dumas's uh, fellow general Marat, um, they eventually defeat Ferdinand the Fourth's army, and they secure Dumas' release in March of 1801 after liberating the prison. Um, so when he returns to France. Um, Dumas is not awarded any pension um, and normally allocated to, to generals because the French government has sort of instituted rules that do not allow um, black or, or mixed race um, generals to receive a pension or serve in the military. I was going to say, is this just based in racism? Is that all this fucking shit is? Is racism and, while they're not paying well, off? What do you and, and people of color are only allowed to sort of serve in these um, regiments called um, pioneer regiments. They're sort of like engineer and like sort of like construction duty regiments. If you can't make them slaves, uh, Ryan, what do you do? But <laughs> Nap- what Napoleon does is he he reinstates <clears throat> slavery in in Haiti. Um, Haiti at this point has pretty much gained its independence, um, but he reintroduces slavery and tries to bring Haiti back under the control of France. Um, and he begins having stricter laws on black people coming into France. Essentially, rolling back the reforms. He he rolls back the reforms, and then he also introduces like harsher in the uh, name sort of, of- laws. French nationalism, essentially. Pretty pretty much, yes. Um, And so, um, he repeatedly writes uh, Napoleon um, seeking back pay for his time in in Toronto, and also asking for a new commission in the military. Um, Napoleon um, sort of uh, of ignores these. 
Um, and he sort of lives out the end of his days sort of in, in poverty. Yeah, it's really fucked up. I mean, there was that one scene, is it apocryphal, I guess, that they talk about in The Black Count, where uh, Dumas is, he walks in on Napoleon in bed with his wife? With, well, that Wait, was what? that was before Egypt. Right. Okay. There was uh, when, right. There, there was a sort of an apocryphal story that he that before they set off for Egypt, Napoleon like called him into his chambers and he was just laying in bed with Josephine, and told them that they were going to like Egypt. But we it's don't like, know if that really happened or not. Yeah, yeah. But I thought something happened like between them, and you know, obviously there was race at play. I mean, Napoleon was. Well, I mean, we. I don't know if we can. I don't know. I mean, correct me, uh, but I don't know if we could say Napoleon was a racist per se or just a hyper-nationalist and that caused his racism. I mean, either way, we're just splitting hairs. Well, I think it's a number of things, but I think it's also the fact that he just hated Dumas. Yeah, he did not like Dumas. Yeah, That that it was just a way for him. Dumas was a superior male. I mean, at the time, I mean, he really (laughs) was, was, though. In every way, he He was was the Chad Frenchman. yeah, and Napoleon, Napoleon was, uh, he was just the, a, a little ego bitch. The, the Chad Dumas and the Virgin, the Virgin Bonaparte. The Virgin Napoleon. Yeah, the Virgin Bonaparte, yep. Um, and I think one of the reasons why he did that for French officers was just because he disliked Dumas, and Dumas was like a, sort of like a challenge to him, because he was a popular um, sort of uh, Republican leader, um, that, that he could have been a check or, or challenged to Napoleon's power. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So he just largely used the whole method where you eliminate that threat, um, essentially. But, but yeah, um, but yeah you said Dumont died in, in, uh, in poverty, which is absolutely insane. But um, wasn't it? It was worse than that, right? Like, he wasn't he like he died in poverty, but he died in a France where like he largely didn't have the rights he had. Yeah, he lost a lot of his rights, um, and his children did. And also sort of his legacy um, after this begins to be erased, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, so he dies of cancer on February 26 of 1806 and, and at his home in, in Ville uh, Coteret. Um, at his death, um, Alexander, his son, was three years, three years and seven months old, um, though he claims at that age he still remembers it. Um, him, his sister, and his mother were were plunged into deeper poverty. Um, she, um, his mother, would work as a um, in a tobacconist shop um, to make ends meet. So basically, she sold cigarettes. Um, yeah, and then um, Alexander Dubois was not able to even get a, a basic secondary education um, because of his family's income. And um, his mother, um, uh, wait, 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 wait. So if you're too, if you, if you're too wealthy, you can't get a secondary education. No, a lack of funds. He doesn't have any money, so he can't get a secondary education. Uh, you have okay. to, you have to pay for a secondary education at this time. Okay, okay, okay. Um, and and throughout this time too, uh, Marie Louise is is lobbying the French government to be paid a, a military widow's pension. Um, and, and largely she and and the young Alexander Dumas blame uh, Napoleon's um, implacable hatred for their poverty. I mean, I would too. Um, but but today, um, 
Thomas Alexander Dumas is beginning to gain fame um, due to sort of like um, after, after a long period of not being recognized. Um, a large part of this is due to the book we've mentioned before, Tom Weiss's um, The Black Count, Glory, Revolution, Betrayal, and The Real Count of Monte Cristo, which won the Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, I cannot like... <clears throat> it takes a lot for me to like get sucked into a book. A lot of times I find myself halfway through, especially historical stuff, halfway through it I kind of just like I just push through to the end of it or I just give up cuz I'm just sick of it and I kind of <laughs> get the point. This book this book had me all the way through it. I mean, the, it just was, the Count of Monte Cristo? No, uh The Black Count, which oh, is about okay. about Thomas Alexander. It was yeah, okay. unbelievably good, man. So I might good. have to read it. You you really um, should. It really re, it really reframes for me like I I was telling Steve about it and um it really reframes the French Revolution and slavery as a topic and Haiti and, you know, the context of um, uh, society. It's just in France at the time. It's just the progression and, like, the regression to, uh, you know, uh, class structures and, and nationalism. It's just – it's fucking amazing. And it's it's actually readily applicable to today. I mean, you can see a lot of that – nationalistic vibe all around the world and repression against certain peoples of certain ethnicities. It's such a good book. Such a good book. Yeah. Um, Dumas' name is, is inscribed on the south wall of the Arc de Triomphe. In, in 1913, um, in, in sort of in this uh, square, um, the the place uh, Malachabay, now called the, the place to General Coutreau in Paris, um, there's sort of this square, and in it are two statues of um, Alexander Dumas, his son, and then Alexander Dumas, his grandson. And there was sort of this campaign um, in 1912 um, to get the statue put in. It was spearheaded by Anatole uh, France and Sarah Bernhardt. Um, to get his... His statue like, put up next to them. Yeah, they already. Uh, I think they already have the statue, right? Well, no. What what happened was was um, they were going to unveil it in July of 1913. Um, it had been covered with a shroud, um, but due to due to like French bureaucracy, which is always a mess, um, mm-hmm. they couldn't reach an agreement on how it would be handled. So they kept on having. They had to recover it and wait until the government could decide how to display it. Um, but it was eventually like unveiled permanently, and it stood there for 30 years. Um, but what happened was was that when the the Germans occupied Paris um, in in, 19, in the winter of, of 1941 um, 42 um, they destroyed the statue really um, and, and it, it has never been restored so they they destroy the statue because they don't like having a statue to a um, to a to essentially a, a black man who clowned on Germans in the past Um up, up in the square um because you have yeah. to remember all the like all the foreigners he fought were were all peoples who live under who lived under the axis at that point they were all germans and italians yep. so so not just do you have somebody who's of mixed race um uh, someone who's who's part black part white but also um defeated a lot of foe. like austrians and germans and and italians yeah um, eventually, uh, in 2009, a, a sculpture was made in his honor, um, made by um, this artist named Dries um, Sans Acredet, 
and it was erected in the square um, but it's it's a representation of broken slave shackles um, and it was unveiled on April 4th of 2009 um, and sort of it, it's not really appropriate and, and it's pointed out by a number of people um, because one um, it, it's not dedicated to the general it's dedicated to sort of like um, the emancipation of slaves then and he, he was never a slave right well he was a slave he was sold into slavery but he never like he, he never like broke the bonds of, of slavery he was sold into slavery and then his dad just like bought him back <laughs> yeah um, so you didn't really do shit like yeah you were okay so you were a slave but your dad bought you out of slavery so as as Tom as Tom Weiss the the, the author of um, the black count puts it um, in the race politics of 21st century France, the statue of General Dumas had morphed into a symbolic monument to all victims of French colonial slavery. Um, there is still no monument in France commemorating the life of General Alexander Dumas. And it's crazy because, I mean, the book puts it uh, obviously more eloquently than any of us could. Steve did a great job, but, um, you know, uh, he's, a, he's like a hero. Of French uh, French military history, I mean yeah. he's he's an insanely like uh, deep figure. Um, when you just look at his track record and the just the uh, the background that followed him around, you know, mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. just there's nothing there, you know. It's well, like there's it's terrible. Well, I was gonna say it, it's kind of interesting too because it's it's it was pointed out in the book by people as well that you know that a lot of times. Like, they sort of do this with, like, George Washington, for instance. They made George Washington a five-star general. Right. Um, it, like, posthumously, so he would still be the highest-ranking, like, American general. Um, but, like, they've given, like, revolutionary generals the Legion of Honor, um, but they've never given him the Legion <clears throat> of Honor. Like, like they've given posthumous awards to other French generals from the revolutionary period, but they've never given one to um, Alex Dumas. And he probably deserves it, but Napoleon did a pretty good job at basically ruining him. So, and and there's also the weird thing too. And I don't know if it's it's as much true in, in American education, but I never really knew what Alexander Dumas like that his like ethnicity was like like Me neither. first Me neither. about him because they don't really tell you about it. And it's because it, for a long period it was largely erased from history that he was like mixed race. They never <clears> mentioned <throat> his like race or his parentage or also his father's like race and parentage. I'm going to say yeah. this flat out and not, I'm not ashamed of it at all. I didn't know he was of mixed race. I had no idea. And it's, yeah. it's a fucking well, shame. It's, it, it's kind of the same with like Pushkin in Russia because Pushkin is um his, his father his his maternal great grandfather was an african born uh slave who who was sort of like being kept by the ottomans and eventually made his way to russia where he became like a military general and a nobleman hmm. and it's one of those things where like like pushkin had this sort of um african ancestry that's not really discussed you know he's generally just considered um you know a russian We've got a long way to go. As opposed to like an Afro-Russian, which is what they refer yeah. to as. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, that was fantastic. Uh, so... 
and until in- next time, or do you still have any more? Um, yeah, just just to note as well, I did try to do for February. I did try to do two subjects who were black um, for Black History Month. And yep. even though this will drop after February, it's we February still recorded 29th. this in Black History That's Month. That's right. Damn yeah. hell yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, and you know what? I didn't even realize it until you said who was going to be this episode's uh, central, you know, feature. I didn't even realize it until then where I was like, oh, shit, okay, yeah, Black History Month, this makes sense, all right, good call. Yeah, no, thanks for that, that was a really good idea, and um, I, yeah, I didn't even know who Josephine Baker was, too, so it's actually really um, apropos that we did that. I heard she was a goddamn prostitute. Uh, stop I it. Really, I feel, no, no, what I'm saying is <laughs> I am mad that I was grossly misinformed. You know, she's I, not he, a he, heard, yeah. he heard, Steve, that she was the matriarch of a line of grand men. <laughs> as we know. It's, as like we when, know. It's, it's like when Gerald called my mom handsome. No, homely. Homely, that's he it. He said she was He said she was homely because he, he liter- our friend literally thought that homely meant like, you know, up, like I guess, uh, beautiful. You know what I mean? No, you he don't call like, anybody like any woman homely. Like a you know, home. Like she, she looked like she was a uh, welcoming person. Yeah. I was like, I was like, bro, way oh, off. Not even close, man. <laughs> I didn't take not offense to it because I knew he was clearly not doing it on purpose. I was like, Jesus. Dude. Yeah, yeah, of course. Oh my god, that's amazing. All right. So in so in summation, um. Tomas Alexandre Dumas was a, 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 a man of contrasts. I would, I, I would say he deserves the title he was given, which was the Black Hercules. The Black Hercules with many contrasts. Which, which just sounds like a black exploitation movie. <laughs> but he had he had the uh, history Rudy, to back Rudy it up. Rudy Ray man, Moore you know? is. I need Spike yeah. Lee to direct it. Rudy Ray Moore is the Black Hercules. Honestly, like they they probably could do like a movie about him. You know, like I, oh, I'm surprised. There, apparently, there is um, John Legend's production company is, is apparently working on a movie. I, I don't nice. know if it's gone beyond production, but I did see that in my my research that they are. That would be awesome. Making a movie. I want to see Christine Teigen in something too, Cause, like cause, Chrissy Teigen doing something. You want to see movie. her in something, or no, like in, like in the mo- in the movie doing something. Well <laughs> there was because um, because it's one of those things. Like I don't know if it'll happen because for a while there was um, there was plans to do a movie about uh, Toussaint Louverture, the uh, the the Haitian like the father of Haiti, like sort of yeah. the general that the sort of the George Washington of Haiti. Um, and Danny Glover was going to be in it. Like, he was making it with the government of, like, Venezuela with, like, their film production company. But I think when Hugo Chavez died, that, that movie died with it. I thought um, you were talking about Papa Doc really quick. Oh, like, no. Nah, I don't no, think not, so. That's the, that's the <laughs> Duvaliers. Yeah, I was like, nah, I don't think so. Yeah. But definitely check but, that uh, book out. And, uh, yeah, you no, know. I got to check that out. I learned a lot today. I'm very, I'm very, I'm very actually, uh, I'm happy with this, with with, with the, uh, was it the Black Knight, the Black Count, what is it? Yeah, the Black Black Count, Count. yeah. The Black Count. Yeah, he he was a Count because his father was was a Marquis, and and a Count is under a Marquis, so. If anybody listening to this knows what a Marquis is and can define it better, please email us at (laughs) thetrilateraltroika at gmail.com. I would love to have a better in-depth definition of Marquis, but until then. I think like, uh, big pun. (laughs) <laughs> he was kind of like a marquee. 
<laughs> fucking hate you. I just pulled the first name of a celebrity that came out of my head. It was always, it's always oh, Big Pun. I just want to give a shout out to Big Pun. Look, Monty Khaled. Look, Khaled and Big Pun might be fat men. Khaled. But Khaled, Big Pun was Khaled was a large. He had, the, he had the authority to tell iTunes that they could they, they could start up the best servers. We the best. We the best. Mind if I yell my name across it? Alright, later. Alright. Later, later, boys.